You'll learn the rules. Uh, it's all up to you. I can be a good guy, or I can be one real mean son bitch. It's all up to you. You're gonna get used to wearing them chains after a while, Luke. But you never stop listening to them clinking. Because they're gonna remind you of what I've been saying. For your own good. Wish you'd stop being so good to me, Captain. Don't you ever talk that way to me. Never! Never! What we've got here is failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach. So you get what we had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets it. And I don't like it any more than you may. Brother Martin in this world, Tim. Why, uh, hello, it is 7 minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of September. In the year of our Lord, 2008, thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed and heat-filled studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program, an excursion into amusement. 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 It's uh, 503-733-2970. You want to join us today? It is Wednesday, and welcome to Day 12. It's uh, 503-733-2970. You want to get on board with your observations, questions, clarifications, ruminations, recipes, limericks, haiku, iambic pentameter. If you would like to call up and read out of the phone book for 15 seconds, you can do that as well. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Here's something that somebody ought to do, and by somebody I mean us. You always hear that cliche about guys in radio or guys who do any kind of voice work where they say, I could listen to that guy read the phone book. We ought to actually have a segment where we have people read the phone book. Just a note. File that away. All right. Uh, can you lower my microphone ever so slightly? Thank you so much. Lower? I know. Lower? I know. Well, it's to make up for my exuberant personality. See, today, I have 15% more humor, so the mic, 15% lower. It's all going to bounce. It's going to be a wash. All right. So we'll have a segment of the program called the Rick Emerson Show, blah, blah, blah. So-and-so reads out of the phone book. I would have listened to Don LaFontaine read out of the phone book. I'm surprised somebody hadn't done that. And it seems like a thing that maybe Jimmy Kimmel or Conan O'Brien, one of those guys, is... One of those guys is done. Some guy with an angular sense of humor. Not unlike ours. All right. It is uh, Wednesday. Thank you for coming by. It's 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, able, and uh, wearing a G-string, I think. Pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, and or the mundane. It is uh, 503-733-2970. All right. Today we're going to revisit our vow uh, to get to all calls within 10 minutes. We don't promise that every day, not even every week. Sometimes we go months without promising that because we're just not very efficient. Uh, but today, I'm feeling on top of my game. So uh, we're going to try to get to all calls today within 10 minutes. 503-733-2970. All right, let's get this out of the way. Yes, later on in the afternoon, Rowdy Roddy Piper will be here in this studio standing right next to us. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper and his son Colt will be here. 
Uh, so his son actually is going to be participating in Sport Fight 24, uh, happening this coming Friday night, 7.30 p.m. at the Rose Garden. So we will be having uh, Roddy Roddy Piper and his son Colt in the studio 2 o'clock today. It's all very exciting. And by the way, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring up Roddy Roddy Piper's starring role in Hell Comes to Frogtown. 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 In which he plays, I swear to Christ, Sam Hell, the last fertile man on earth. All right. So we'll talk about it. It's, it's genius. Uh, I went back and I, I haven't seen Hell Comes to Frogtown for years because, you know, Hell Comes to Frogtown. But um, I went back and I watched the trailer last night. It's just as wonderful as I remembered. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about They Live. Uh, we'll talk uh, wrestling stuff. We'll talk sports ride stuff. And basically it's going to be a whole bunch of hero worship. So uh, that's coming up 2 o'clock today. And that is right, Richie Bristol. Uh, one random on-air caller today wins a pair of passes to see Sport Fight 24 happening this Friday at the Rose Garden. Sport Fight 24 Domination, Friday, September 19th, 7.30 p.m., the Rose Garden Arena. Uh, so there you go. That is uh, coming up this coming Friday, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll be giving away uh, a pair of tickets to that one random on-air caller today. And they also win the... And they also winning something else. Oh, yeah. The same random on-air caller today wins a copy of DC Superheroes, The Filmation Adventures. For the first time ever on DVD, see all your favorite superheroes in 18 different action-packed classic cartoons on this two-disc Filmation collector set starring The Atom, The Flash, Green Lantern, and Hawkman. Uh, so there you go. That, uh, that's the one random on-air caller today. So later on today, Rowdy Rowdy Piper. It's all very exciting. Uh, following up on yesterday's brilliant top fives from Sarah X. Dillon, which you just heard in the recap. She was doing the uh, top five lovelorn teenage angst songs from her youth. Today, I will be doing my own. And it's embarrassing as all get out. It is embarrassing. I, I was embarrassed listening to mine again. Let me just look back. Let me check my top five real quick. Yeah, I'd say that it's at least 30% embarrassing. One of these songs is flat out horrifying. So um, this is we will do later on Rick Emerson's top five lovelorn teenage angst songs. Songs to which I moped alone in my room, a loveless youth. So we'll be doing those later on. And the, there's one that, and I had to be honest. You know, you can't pull punches with the people. They know. So I had to be honest about it, and I had to, to really put it down as it existed. And boy, God damn, it's awful. So we'll, uh, we'll do that later on. Uh, what else? Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com coming up today. Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. We'll talk about uh, Sunday's Mad Men. Uh, we will talk about last night's episode of The Shield. Uh, we will have CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins theoretically joining us later on today. We will have CNN Radio correspondent James Roop joining us today as well. I think we're waiting to button that up, as they say upstairs in the uh, sales department. Uh, what else? Well, I could talk about some other stuff, but th- th- those are really the main beats, as they say. Uh, so to the top five, Rowdy Rowdy Piper, Peter Carlin, Mr. Skin. Let's see. Oh, I got the, what else? We have Geek Watch over here. I got the Jock Watch. We'll get to that. And uh, some other things. Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification on this Wednesday. Creeping socialism becomes socialism on the march as the government bails out AIG. Oregonians with AIG policies have nothing to worry about, claims the state's insurance person. The bailout causes stocks to plunge today. Elsewhere, a loose tiger and lion are among the displaced in Texas following Hurricane Ike. Meanwhile, Oregon hunters are being stalked by cougars. A developer wants to build a tower on the Portland waterfront that will be taller than the Space Needle. A Portland woman attempts suicide in New York City but fails. A 14-year-old Washington State boy breaks his own record by blowing up balloons with his nose. Huge crowds attend McCain rallies, but all the women leave when Sarah Palin finishes speaking. <laughs> TV crews have borrowed from Obama's Beverly Hills fundraiser, but we have video and audio. Excellent. We're going to hear from Lynn Spears about her new book, 
And Ryan O'Neill and son were arrested in L.A. on meth possession charges. Ryan O'Neill looks bad, bad, by the way. I haven't seen him in like five years, but what? he looked bad five years ago. Well, who is... Wait, hold on. Now, who is his son? Wait, that is the son from uh, Farrah Fawcett. Wait, let's back up. Who is Tatum O'Neill in relation to Ryan O'Neill? Sister? Mother? Secret lover? No, daughter. Daughter. Of okay. Ryan O'Neill. So, wait. So, Ryan O'Neill, dad. Tatum O'Neill, daughter. Correct. She's all messed up, too, isn't she? She has been since birth. Wouldn't you? I mean, she, she's been nightclubbing since she's been four years old. As a zygote. Um, and she was the one who was in Little Darlings, right? Yes. Jesus, what a creepy movie that is. You know, have we mentioned, we? you know, we always talk about doing this, but and probably we've discussed it in such piecemeal. We've probably discussed all these movies in their component parts to the point that we can no longer really do a top five because you know, we've discussed them all separately so much. But I keep talking about that top five movies you could never make today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always bring up Heathers. You could never make Heathers today. You could never make Blue Lagoon today. That's, that's the one I was thinking of. And you could never make Little Darlings. You ever seen Little Darlings? Mm-mm. Okay, Little Darlings, Christy McNichol, who we get talked about on the show like way more often than she ought to. Her and her, her, and her brother, Jimmy McNichol. Uh, so Christy McNichol and Tatum O'Neill are like... How old do you think those characters are in the movie Little Darlings? Do you know what the movie oh, I'm talking about? Know. Little Darlings was this movie that came out in the 70s. It was Tatum O'Neill and Christy McNichol, and they must have been... I mean, maybe 16, and I think playing younger than that. And I swear to God, it is a comedy about two teenage girls at a summer camp who have a bet going on who can lose their virginity first. And they're like 14. As if you could never make that now. Oh, by the way, Ryan O'Neill was never married to Farrah Fawcett. They lived together in Sydney and had a son, the one who was arrested, named Redmond. He's a bastard, in other words? Yes. Redmond O'Neill is a bastard. Wait, he lives in Redmond, or his name is Redmond? His name is Redmond. Redmond O'Neill is a bastard. All right, he is the so. father of Tatum and Griffin also. All right, so there you go. And then Tatum O'Neill was in Paper Moon. Yes. All right, there, there we go. All I'm going to say about it is Ryan O'Neill, uh, A, was in the movie Love Story with Ali McGraw, who could not possibly look more 70s. B, Ryan O'Neill looks a lot like Meatloaf right now. You take a good long look at him and then sort of squint a little bit, Marvin Lee a day is who he looks like. So he is 67 years old. He looks bad. He looks Much older. bad. And He's so been married the, twice. Was this a father and son meth bust? Yes. Sort of the family that deals together. That's a family business. <laughs> and now, little man, I give the meth dealership to you. Uh, Ryan O'Neill was in Love Story with Alan McGraw, and Love Story is a movie that nobody ever thinks about anymore, but Love Story really did usher in a whole new era of manipulative, tear-jerking films. Mm-hmm. Love Story, based, of course, on the book by the same name, by Eric Segal, and I'm not ashamed to admit, I've read every Eric Segal book there is. You get a problem with that, you can, uh, you know, you can lump it. You can take it down the road and dump it, is what you can do. A love Story has the best opening line to any book ever. Any book in the history. Do you know the opening line to Love Story? Anybody? I can't remember it offhand. The opening line to Love Story, the book, and I think to the movie, it's like the best. You, you know, they do this thing now in books called the smash opening. And the smash opening, Chuck Palahniuk does this a lot. The smash open in a book is where, rather than building up slowly, the first sentence or paragraph or page immediately plunges you into the action, and then they jump back and they build toward it again. So, like, uh, I think Survivor opens with him in a plane, it's about to crash, and then they jump back and they go forward to that moment again. Uh, Fight Club does it, where it opens with Tyler's gun in his mouth, and then it jumps back. So the smash open is where they start with the big, powerful sentence to hook you, and then they work. So the the opening sentence of the book Love Story, and I'm probably going to butcher it ever so slightly, but it is something very close to... What can you say about a girl who is 24 and died? That she was beautiful and smart and loved the Beatles and Beethoven 
and me. And so, like, right, and then you, that's you know, how it that's how it starts. And, and, man, a whole generation was just manipulated into buying that book. I among them. So, all right. Anyway. I just knew Love Story because that was one of the first piano songs to learn how to play. I don't even think I know that, like, the theme from Love Story. Yeah, it's like I the, the I where do I begin to tell the story of Oh, all right, okay, yeah. What was that, Tim? I said, Genius. All right, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and sparkly Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, how are you? Am I sparkly? Yeah, I dig that shirt. Thanks. You wear that sometimes, and it's, um, I don't know, it's got like a weird, I don't know what the fabric is, but it's all glittery. I like it. I don't it. know either. I got it at, um, I think like Value Village or something. Almost like you're wearing, uh, copper wool. Yeah, it doesn't really look like cloth. No, 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 it's good. So, how are you? How was your day? How was your night? It was fun. I watched, uh, yeah, I watched Decline of Western Civilization yeah! Part 2. That is what I'm talking about right there. It was awesome. Right here. Decline of Western Civilization Part 2 of the Metal Years. It's uh, very, very cool. So just a little bit of backstory. So I sent this home with you last night because uh, we all went to Faster Pussycat, you and myself and your friend Lisa, who was sort of there on the strip back in the mid-'80s. And there are all these photographs of, I think I can say this on the air, of Lisa when she's underage sitting next to Faster Pussycat at the Rainbow Bar and Grill who are buying her drinks. Oh, no, she was like, like she'd school, she'd be like, take me down. And yeah. like, um, like, and there's that footage of the Rainbow Room and then totally. um, of uh, the Cat House. Yeah. She saw a ton of shows there. Totally. And so this documentary was made at the time. It is a documentary about the, the sort of whatever you want to call it, glam rock or glitter rock or, you know, what, what, whatever term we want to use for it. But, you know, that real spandex and big hair rock in the mid to late 80s. And Penelope Spirits went down to the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles to, you know, there's the Rainbow Bar and Grill, and there was, you know, there's all of the, the Roxy, there's all of this stuff there. And the Cat House, which was there at the time. And she did this two-hour documentary about the bands who were had made it, and then also bands who were on the Strip trying to make that it. That Paul Stanley footage was ridiculous. Paul Stanley laying on a bed surrounded by models. Yeah, it's like him with, like, four models petting him as he's talking totally. about it. Totally. Like... And he's wearing, like, the big, uh, bad spandex. Yeah. God. Yeah, and, um... There's this sequence of the documentary where, yeah, they, they keep cutting back to Paul Stanley, who is laying, and it's like a shot from the top down as though you were a mirror on the ceiling of his bedroom. Mm. And it's Paul Stanley laying on a bed, surrounded by all these girls who look like they stepped out of penthouse. And literally, there's like six girls on the bed, and you're right, they're like petting him as he talks. Mm. And Penelope Spears says, so, Paul, is this like how you live? And he goes, as often and as many times as I can. And then he like strokes the hair of one of the girls and then like... <laughs> Flounces at the camera. Yeah, between Jesus. him and Gene Simmons, and then like watching Ozzy Osbourne pour that glass of orange juice into Pants Dan Emporia, and he's like totally flashing wrong. it everywhere. Yeah. So then he's like, "No, I'm totally reformed now," and he's like, mm, "Like." How great is the sequence of Chris Holmes from Wasp in the swimming pool? Dude, with his mom. Yeah. That was messed up. Yeah. No, it's fantastic, and they do that whole montage. What do you feel about drugs? We don't do drugs. Drugs are drugs suck, and clearly they're no, all but on there's drugs. A, yeah, and there's a beat too. Yeah. And so was that was that Tammy Down who's wearing the yeah. sunglasses? Yeah. Because there's like she's like, so do you guys do drugs? He's like, oh no, oh. no. And you can tell they're all just out of their mind. Oh, uh, we do the aspirin, Tylenol. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad. What did like did Lisa like? Lisa it? loved it. Was a big it. flashback for her. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah I've heard. That's why I, I ended up missing a lot of the movie though because she started like going on with her stories. Yeah. Especially after a couple glasses of wine, she's like, oh, and there was this one time, and so I ended up missing part of it. That one, my favorite was the the douchey guy who. Um, 
had, who dropped out of high school in like, or who dropped out of school in seventh grade. Right, because he was going to be a rock star. And he's just like, I can't have a real job. And she's like, Have you ever had a job? He's like, Well, no. No, but, I dropped out seventh grade. I'm just going to be famous. Uh, the, and by the way, we're, I'll wrap up this discussion here in a moment, except for these three things. Dude, One, Joe Perry's like the hottest thing ever. That's Joe all. Perry's a good-looking man. Oh my God. Uh, three things. Uh, one, if you can find it, it's out of print. But if you can find it, they sell bootlegs of it. And don't feel bad about buying a bootleg or downloading it because it's out of print. You can't buy it. So find a copy of The Decline of Western Civilization 2, The Metal Years. Uh, there's three of them. The first and third are about punk. But this one's about 80s metal. You really ought to see it. So find a copy and watch it. B, I know I just said one, but B, we got to have Lisa on occasionally to do a... Uh, you know, Sarah's hot friend Lisa presents, remember that time in the 80s? And then she'll tell some great story about, like, rock dudes from the 80s. That's a great idea. Okay. And three, the greatest and saddest moment of the whole documentary uh, is when they do the big montage of asking all these sort of struggling glam musicians in the 80s, well, what happens if you don't become a rock star? And they're all like, I will become a rock star. But what if you don't? But I will. Okay, but what if you don't? But I will! And all those bands that you hadn't heard of? Yeah, like bands that never amounted to anything for the, for the most part. I mean, bands like Vixen and Tuff that kind of had, you know, little, you know, little flash in Lisa the pan. Lisa was telling me a story last night about how her friend and uh, her other friend went home with a couple of the guys from Tuff. Wow. A, <laughs> that sucks. And they took a picture, <laughs> like, I don't know, they're like a hot tub or something, and they were in their bikinis, and they took a picture wearing both of the guys' um, leather jackets with oh, Tuff on the back of them. That's so sad. No offense. Oh, wasn't Lisa. It was her friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, all right, there you go. Um, somebody told me that one of the guys from Decline of Western Civilization 2 actually lives in Portland, but I'm unclear about who it is, so I'm trying to track that down. All right, excellent. Um, uh, let's see. What else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, by the way, if anybody's curious about what Sarah Dillon is eating for lunch today, it is, in fact, a kid's television meal, like a TV dinner, but for children. It looks so delicious. Everything in a Comic Sans font written in crayon. Dip and dunk toasted ravioli, breaded cheese ravioli with marinara dipping sauce, corn fruit, uh, corn and uh -huh. fruit shaped. This is a flavored snack. This is an alleged kids cuisine meal. Yeah, I was like looking at all the lean cuisines and stuff uh -huh. that I eat every day, and this only has like ten more calories okay. than the other ones. All right. So I decided to just go for what looks delicious. All right. I'm just saying. I uh, felt kind of stupid buying it. No, no, that's okay. Don't, don't feel bad. All right. Uh, a couple other things to get to. Uh, first of all, I was talking to our good friend Sarah Wagner this morning who made this observation, sort of apropos of nothing. This is a direct quote, and I wrote this down. Sarah Wagner said of uh, of Jack White, of uh, the White Stripes and the Raconteurs, who played last night. Sarah Wagner said, quote, I would have his babies. I would be a slut for Jack. <laughs> so there you go. Megan, note to yourself. Next time you hear Sarah That's Wagner talking. That's a statement from Sarah Wagner, too, because she, she has not said slut. I, uh, I would have his babies. I would be a slut for Jack. So there you go. I am Jack's backstage concubine. Uh, all right, what else? Uh, so last night, nothing really exceptional last night. It's safe to say that I went home and watched The Shield, uh, which was great. Nerve-wracking as, as, as ever. I mean, that's the great thing about that show is it's wonderful, but it's stressful. Uh, and we're going to talk to, uh, to Peter Carlin about that later on. But The Shield... I gotta say, if you watched The Shield last night, I have no idea how they're gonna wrap up everything in that in that season. I mean, there have been so. I think this is the seventh and final season. I mean, it is the final season, but I think it's the seventh one. And there has been. I mean, they've run out so many plot lines. There is so much backstabbing and double dealing and double crossing and backroom dealing. I have no idea how they're gonna wrap everything up and whatever they got left, like the ten episodes or something, to, to finish up that entire series. I mean, I hope they can get it done. I got. I you know, I put my faith in Sean Ryan, but Jesus, it's gonna be. 
It's going to be a little tricky to uh, going to be a little tricky to see how they do that. Uh, so probably not a whole lot else from last night, except to say this: that I was going to uh, I was going out to, to dinner with somebody last night, and uh, you know I had to be there at 7:30, and so I leave the house at like 7:20 because I, like a lot of guys, you know, it's like that Rain Man thing where he asked Rain Man how much something costs, and the guy goes, you know, whatever he says, hundred dollars or something, and then Tom Cruise says, all right, Raymond, like, how much is a candy bar? Hundred dollars. And I'm sort of like that with travel time. How long is it going to take to get there? About ten minutes. And no matter where I'm go, I could be driving to Pluto, and it doesn't matter. I think every everywhere I got to go is going to be ten minutes. So I'm already just not running late, but running just up against the, the brink of being late. And then I get behind every backward-ass hick on the planet who decides to go 20 miles under the speed limit. And have you noticed this? Whenever you are behind someone who is going really, really slowly, it's always, always. When you are on a road or in a lane in which you cannot get around them or past them. Nobody's ever going 20 miles under the speed limit when you're on the highway. You know, you just duck into the other lane, get around. No, no, no. It's always when I'm on some, like, windy-ass back road that I'm taking because I think it's going to be a shortcut. And really, it's just a shortcut to a rear view of a rube from Idaho who can't find the accelerator. So there's me last night. And as Sarah will tell you, I was already in a little bit of a cranky mood yesterday. I was, um... I was a little unhappy with just everybody and everything and all aspects of my life yesterday. It all began with the squirrel. It, it really did all begin with the squirrel, Tim. So and the forgotten planner. And it really, yeah, and it really wasn't about anything in particular. I was just kind of in a bad mood, and I had, I think, too much coffee and just not enough sleep and just a little too much of everything. So I'm, try, so I'm trying to get to dinner, and I actually was in such a bad mood yesterday, and I went on that whole screaming rant yesterday about the uh, woman who was standing in the parking space blocking it out so I couldn't park there while she was waiting for a friend. That after the show, I actually told Sarah, I said, you know, from now on, I just have to have this rule where I don't complain about traffic, cars, or parking ever again. Because it always just turns me into Jack's raging bile duct. You know, that's, that's, uh, you don't want to do that. So, this is the only comment I'm going to make. Oh, which no. Is, is it a parking No, the only thing I'm going to say is, though, after that, I mean, after a day in which I was so cranked up about parking that I actually made a vow after the show not to talk about it anymore, I'm trying to get to dinner, and what happens? Uh, some backwoods uh, mouth breather in front of me, blocking my whole way, and I did that thing where I actually turned into, um, whatever is it, Samir Naeen in a jad? Where I'm actually in, and I almost never, I never really punch anything or hit anything. You know, I just take my hate and I shove it down into a little black tar-like ball inside. I never really get physical. But last night, I was sick of hitting my steering wheel. And I'm behind, you know, and I'm trying to get around, and the guy slows down, trying to get around. And I finally just kind of go hitting the steering wheel with my hand, like, Mother, son of a bitch, just trying to get around. And I don't know if you've ever done this, where you're hitting your steering wheel so hard that you begin to wonder in the back of your head, am I going to set off the airbag? Because then you realize that you're going to fall into that half a percent where the airbag snaps your neck. And that's just an embarrassing and unfortunate way to die. Jesus. I think that's an overlooked advertising opportunity. For what? There's no advertising on airbags. What do you mean? Well, when it comes hitting toward you, the first message you'll see will be something you remember, no. wouldn't it? No, no, no. Here's what they ought to do. You know what they ought to do with airbags, Tim? What's that? You know, because I don't know what airbags are full of now. I guess air. But, uh, you know, inside of an airbag, they ought to have coupons. This sort of come. <gasps> this is Are a great idea. No, seriously. Now, see, you Two laugh at this now. Subway. Sarah, you know what CBS believes in? Ancillary revenue streams. That's what it's all about in this country now. It's finding non-traditional sources of revenue. Did you see that story that CBS, among other people, is going to start advertising on the tops of buildings? Yes. Because they want people who are flying to look down and go, What? King of Queens? <laughs> great. Or whatever. Uh, so they're going to start advertising on the tops of buildings. Here's what they ought to do. Major auto manufacturers or local dealers. This is a great idea. And the thing is, you laugh at this now, but somebody's going to start doing it. 
Auto dealers ought to start in airbags. In addition to the air, they put like a coupon from like a, like a collision repair place. Because by definition, if you use the airbag, it's because you've hit something or been hit by something. Uh-huh. Airbag goes off, coupons come out, you go, well, that sucked, at least I'm alive, my car's all messed up. What's this? Two for one windshield repair. There you go. So you're going to laugh at this? You're going to think, that, Rick, this, uh, this coupon idea has some humor to it, but uh, we all know this is uh, just an exercise in comedy. You know, in like five years, you're going to see that. You'll remember the day that I said it. Let's take a break, shall we? We'll come back. CNN Radio Correspondent Lisa Desjardins around the corner. CNN Radio Correspondent Jim Rube coming up after that. Peter Carlin, Mr. Skin, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper in the studio, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth, and so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio. Well, they're not even really new. I put them in like a year and a half ago and then just forgot to hit, like, enter. All right. There you go. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. I'm the Z-Rock for a moment. All right. I'm Shark Man. Why, uh, hello. Uh, coming up later on today, we have seen a radio correspondent, James Roop. Uh, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Uh, we'll talk to Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. Uh, wrestling legend Rowdy Roddy Piper will join us in the studio later on at 2 o'clock hour. And I just sat by when I was uh, out with Chris last night. I just sat there nerding myself into a frenzy about it. Trying to get all of my sort of excess excitement about Rowdy Roddy Piper out last night so that today I could comport myself as a professional and not just be sitting here going, You're so cool! Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill. Singing on radio correspondent. Devastatingly intelligent, Lisa Desjardins. Hello. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. You know, wild, wild times. Are they really wild times? Wild times, right? Yeah. You know, not to, not to quote the John Cougar Mellencamp cover of uh, Wild Nights. I feel like that's popping into my head all of a sudden. But uh, yeah, how about? I think what I, my favorite part of today so far has been Harry Reid coming to the microphones on you know this latest bailout on Wall Street and saying point blank, and I can play the cut for you. Please do. Playing, oh well, oh geez, now I need to. Pull. Oh no, I mean you don't have to now. I mean at some point if you would like to sort of back up oh, your yeah. observations by playing it. Absolutely, but basically saying. Uh, no, no one knows what to do here. Well, here's the cut. No one knows what to do. As I indicated in an earlier question, we are in new territory here. Yes. We, this is, this is a different game. Yeah, but the key part, just uh, a member of Congress is coming out saying nobody knows what to do. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't even, uh, <laughs> as previously discussed on this program, I am not all that bright, especially when it comes to anything involving, as Chevy Chase once said, as Gerald Ford, I was told there'd be no math. So I don't really know how a lot of this works, but if I may just ask, Please. I have three, I have an observation and I have one rhetorical question and then I have a, a real question. Okay. My observation is every time you say Harry Reid in my brain, there's a little half step where I have to remind myself you're not talking about porn star Harry Reams, uh, <laughs> who, was in, who was in the movie Deep Throat and who now is a real estate broker and Jesus aficionado in Park City, Utah. Oh my God. I really thought you were going to go with Harry and the Hendersons. That was a completely different direction. No, but I like the way you went there. Uh, and, yes, it was a completely different direction. Uh, two, 
Wait, what was two? Oh, two. Uh, Question? I can't forget. Two is, you would think that just as a guy who is, I mean, obviously public servant, blah, 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 blah. But he's also a politician. You think he would not be getting on the microphone and saying, I don't know. We uh, we don't know what to do. Uh, <laughs> ideas? Anybody? If you have ideas, send them to IDEA, Pueblo, <laughs> Colorado, 80019. Uh, and finally, and this is, I guess, more the rhetorical one, but maybe not. I can't even believe I'm saying this, but... Isn't the government supposed to know what to do? Isn't that why they're the government and I'm some guy from whom they take, like, the 30% or whatever every payday? Now, you know, we can get into a really big discussion here. It used to be, you know, 150 years ago, there was a debate. You know, the government is not supposed to help people. There were disasters in this country, you know, in the 19th century that the government did not send any help to because the idea was that's not the federal government's role. That mm-hmm. each community has to deal with themselves and maybe the state will help, but that's not what the federal government does. You know, that that's clearly shifted now that the idea is that that, that is a federal government role and obviously uh, it does make, a, the federal government makes a big difference in a lot of uh, crises. Uh, but, you know, I, I think uh, perhaps these past few years have, have certainly uh, spiked that notion of the government is supposed to know what to do. And I think this is kind of the ultimate proof of that. And this just speaks to the lack of trust that Americans have in their government in general. It's going to be tough for well, I mean, it's a little bit of a, to get it back. Yeah, it's a little bit of a cart before the horse, egg before the chicken thing, though, because I mean, I know I'm just, I sound like I'm just ranting, and I, and I don't mean to be that, I, but I... I like but, it, though. It's great. It's fine. I'm just saying, perhaps the reason Americans don't have any faith in their government is because the government never fixes anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, look, uh, the government's saying they can't fix it because we don't trust them to do the job. Why don't they, you know what it is? It's like, uh, here's what it's like. It's like when a guy comes to your house, and he says, uh, look, I, uh, you know, I want to, you know, like my uh, my wife is doing this whole thing. She's like re, re kind of decorating our living room. Ooh, okay. And she's got somebody who is like sort of... Eh, you know, we're, she's doing it all herself, but she she kind of got somebody to come right. and sort of give her some ideas and right. to come and look at the space. And right. uh, as my wife would tell you, she does not always have the greatest aesthetic sense, but she knows what she doesn't know. Got so, it. So right. she, number one. Yeah. So she had somebody come to the house and maybe and give her some ideas and suggestions on paint styles and colors and whatever. And so the guy's like, so <clears throat> you know, he's he's like, I can I can hook you up with some stuff to really to re to redecorate this room. And she said, well, what do you think? And he goes, well, I got this kind of paint thing that's going to look really good. And you know what? Before she bought anything, she said, you know what? Go over and do like one square foot in that back right. corner. Let right. me look at it. So maybe the government ought to just take something real small. Uh, I don't know. Like I always go to potholes for some reason. Maybe the government ought to take something real small, fix that, and then hold a press conference and go, look, uh, there was this pizza place on the corner. Uh, had a bunch of potholes and thugs hanging around, and we fixed that. So we can do stuff. How do you feel about then maybe fixing that county economy? And then if they can fix the county economy, eventually they work to the point where you go, look, we now trust you. Please fix the stupid freaking economy and, and help everybody. <laughs> right. You now, you now have a pass to use billions and billions of our dollars. This is what, this is, what is mind-blowing to me. $85 billion, that, up to $85 billion that we're loaning to AIG. You know, I think I think at this point in Washington, like, and we've talked about this before, money. I mean, there is no sense of how much money is worth. It is all just numbers on a page. Eighty-five billion dollars. That is that. That's almost, I guess, like a what a fifth of how much we've spent in Iraq total. Right. right. I mean, that is a massive amount to drop in one night, and everyone's kind of like, well, yeah, that's a, what, yeah, yes, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, and Harry Reid later on in that same news conference. Now that now people are looking at the auto industry, and the auto industry is saying, "Hey, if you're spending 85 billion on those guys, hey, cutie, can we get in on that?" You know, and so the 
that was overly loud sound effect. But uh, the uh, now Harry Reid said, you know, I hear $5 billion. The auto industry wants $5 billion. And Harry Reid said, quote, you know, I think that's small change. It's $5 billion. Now, somebody sent me this this morning, and it's uh, he, he doesn't, as they say, he doesn't cite. There's no cites on this. He doesn't source it. Oh, perfect. But, but it is, well, but I would say it is from a listener that, uh, that I trust implicitly. Okay, it's, a li- it's a listener who, who is way smarter than I am and who, who does not just send me crap that he's made up. So I, I am going to my default setting with this is that it's true. Okay. And he, it's an email about putting the uh, the bailout in perspective, and he's talking about the 2007 federal budget allocation. Okay. And he notes, uh, you know, like 587 billion social security, 550 billion defense, yeah. uh, you know, uh, 244 billion interest on debt. And by the way, that's a figure that should terrify everybody. Yeah. How about? Uh, yeah, I can talk then, about that as you know. Then, yeah. he, then he has, uh, you know, the AIG Fannie Mac bailouts, 200, uh, you know, 200 billion. Below that, below that, ninety billion for education, seventy-two billion for veterans benefits, forty-three billion for quote administration of justice. Uh, what else? You know, energy, science and technology. And he notes, if these figures are correct, that the two bailouts alone are more than the general government, energy, science and technology, community development, agricultural, natural resources, environment, administration of justice budgets combined. So anyway, you know that's a great story. I'm going to steal that story. I'm going to have to do that story because that that is fantastic. I mean, and I and I think those those figures sound like they could be accurate to me from what I know about last year's budget. Yeah, it's a little crazy. It is it is you know and people really just 85 billion. No, not not let, that in our lash. Let me let me ask you a question. In, 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 be, they are, but I mean really. Because I don't and again because I have to sort of simplify things down for my tiny reptile brain. Whatever. So this I'm just saying the economy eludes me in some ways. Okay, and my, well, you're not the only one apparently. You know. And that is why, uh, again, as Socrates, as Socrates said, uh, the smartest man is he who knows what he does not know. And that's why my wife uh, handles all of the finances, because I got nothing. So this this whole thing, the average American is really going to be taking it in the shorts, I think. Uh, it will continue to take it in the shorts for a long time. Is it a fair assessment to say that the the, the quote, average guy, average family, if he exists is now going to be uh, the recipient of a whole bad-slash-worse economy through no real fault of his own? Mm, it's certainly very possible. I think, I think we know at least that we've got a long way to go until things start looking up. Now, a new president could seriously help the financial markets because – What's happening now is the the markets are operating almost on sheer nerves. You know, now obviously the you know the collapse of of several Wall Street firms is a tangible thing, and there that is a real thing to react to. But on top of that are these massive jitters that have kind of been building up, and that's why today you're seeing, uh, even though it's it's AIG that that needs to bail out, and it's the Lehman Brothers that went bankrupt more solid Wall Street firms, and there's not a lot of them, but like Goldman Sachs, which actually didn't get involved in the subprime market like everyone else. Goldman Sachs, which is a much more solid firm, uh, is also taking a huge hit today in their stock price, down more than 25%. And that's a firm that did well. So when you have, it's, it's that kind of like Wall Street panicky. I don't want to say it is a panic, but it's very panicky. Um, yeah, I think that that is going to send ripples around the economy. And I think what 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 it's going to add up to in regular people's lives is uh, prop, some job cuts in right. a lot of industries. I know the construction industry has already felt it hard, uh, but also, you know, pay raises right. are not going to be easy to come by. And at the same time, we still have serious danger from inflation because oil's going up and down. But the truth is, 
even though gas and oil prices are kind of going down in general, take Hurricane Ike out of it, they're, they're, they're going to go back up. And so there's a lot of inflation. Like, prices may go back up, but salaries are not likely to go up. They're more likely to maybe go down. If you lose your job, it's going to be even harder to find one. I mean, the only hope is that somehow a new president, whoever it may be, can somehow spark, turn this kind of, like, turn these jitters around, and, and there may be a little bit of, a, of sunshine from, well, a, from a new president. I got, the, I got one observation and one sort of humorous uh, note from Tim Riley, news director. Uh, the, um, I mean, my observation would be, and this is all I'll say about it because it opens up the whole thing, but uh, my, my, my debate, uh, you know, with people about it, my uh, rationale for saying that really the government ought to be the one providing health care is rooted in the fact that the government uh, is actually mandated by the Constitution, I believe. I do believe the Constitution actually says specifically that the government's uh, jobs are, you know, there's the, the printing of money and the, you know, whatever, uh, and to provide for, quote, the common defense. And, you know, and so that's why I always tell people that really I think the government ought to be footing, uh, footing the bill for, like, you know, cancer. Because, you know, that, that kills a whole lot more people than, uh, than guys with guns, you know, or nutcases from point, other countries. Right. But, you got a point. But it does seem like this is sort of a situation where the common defense is being threatened, and for most people, by forces that they didn't really have any control over. And that's really, it seems to me, where the government ought to get, step in and just say, look, you know, everybody, everybody to your corners, calm down, and here's how we're going to fix this. And I think people, at the risk of sounding very flowery and at the risk of having Aaron Copeland music start up behind me as I speak, I really do believe that I think people, as much as people say they don't like the government, and look, there's certainly seeds for that, as much as people say they don't like the man, I do think people really thirst for somebody just to come in and say, look, things are bad, here's what we're going to do. You know, everybody just sit down and be quiet, and here's how we're going to get through this, and it's going to suck for like three years, but the alternative is that it's going to suck for 20 years, so let's all quit our bitching, and here's here's what we're going to do. Step one, and then they just do it. So anyway. I think that I uh, put it on your hat. I am amazed. I feel like either presidential campaign or either party has a complete opening here that, to, to deal with the American anger on this because as these Wall Street firms crumble, get bailed out, or go bankrupt, uh, the, the firms, of course, their, their value as firms is taking a nosedive. But many of the CEOs or board members are fine, you know, and, and some of them even are doing well because uh, they got out, they sold their stock a while ago. Not all of them, but significantly, uh, significant numbers of these top guys are made, have made huge amounts of money while they were driving these companies into the ground by, by taking these bad risks. I think I'm surprised that nobody out there, maybe I'm just too naive, I don't understand the policies here, but I think someone would have a great opening if they just said, we want to set up a system whereby if, you know, if the government has to act and help your company, the, corp the CEOs are personally liable and the CEOs personally have to forfeit massive amounts of their salary, right. the CEOs who got for, for the past five years. Because what is happening now is that you're right. The, the little guys are the ones that are putting all this bill and all of our little tax accounts and, and those corporate CEOs. Many of them, I mean, they're not bajillionaires like they hope to be, but they're still millionaires. Well, and, and that really shouldn't be. And I, I'm surprised that no politician is kind of talking about a way to deal with that. It seems like one of the politicians, somebody running needs to sort of start challenging their inner Howard Beale at this point. <laughs> uh, and Tim Riley did make a funny note, though, uh, yesterday. He had a great observation, which is that uh, for those who feel like they were born too late and maybe never really got to experience the 70s, 
prepare yourselves because you are about to experience the 70s uh, over the next however many months or years. Uh, so. No, but, you, but I see now maybe I'm missing that reference, you think? It's really the late 70s he's talking about, right? Like yeah. the very tiny end chip of the 70s. I suppose. I mean, I have to say maybe my memory's flawed because I was young, but, I, man, I do seem to remember, and maybe this is only my experience, but I don't think it so. And up. Right? I I remember just uh, you know not to be like Johnny. I guess that's most of the seventies, really. Yeah, and I don't want to be like Frankie Buzzkill about it or anything. <laughs> but I remember growing up and just I you know it's that thing when you're a kid where even if you can't quite figure it out, you can sense no. stress in the household. Yeah. And not just stress because like you know like because your parents don't like each other, uh, but it but stress you can just tell when there is outside pressure that is causing problems for your parents. Yeah, and I remember sensing your that. mind. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that vibe more than anything, that the 70s were. So, um, there we go. Yeah, you know, I think what to look for now, obviously, you know, by the way, as a side note, the House passed the energy bill yesterday. <clears> it looks <throat> like it's got a real rocky road in the Senate. Who knows? And that could be, this all could be bad news for renewable energy because, all of those renewable energy tax credits that are helping that industry tremendously right now still haven't been renewed, so Congress has to get yeah. that done. And right now Congress, looking at my calendar, is set to adjourn at the end of next week. So they've got a week and a half. No, no, see, that's it. No, somebody has to just step in and say, look, here's the thing. We're locking the door. Yeah. We are locking. Seriously, why can't somebody just get on the way with that? You're not going home. <laughs> We're locking the door, you fat bastards. Get back in there and fix things. Well, they're running their own. If they leave, they... they I mean, oh, I, that's it. No, no, no. Seriously, we got to get... Uh, I want people going and standing outside the homes of congressmen and just sitting there going like, what are you doing? Hey, get back to work. Right, right. Jerk. Are you eating a sandwich? Put down that sandwich. I mean... The, 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 get to work. It's just insanity. And somebody needs to be making political hay out of that, if nothing else. Congress adjourns. They go home. I want somebody all, literally tapping on their window. Hey, why don't you get off the sofa and go fix the stupid, broken economy? Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I will not that, subject I mean, it anymore, my ranting. A week and a half and... Love of God. I mean, there's a, there's a huge list of things they have to do, not just the economy and energy, but those those are two biggies. All right, we didn't get to talk about uh, drilling, so maybe uh, are you on tomorrow? I mean, yeah, uh, I'm not on tomorrow. I'm next back on Monday. All right, is it noodles? Do you think? I think it'll be noodles. All right, we'll talk to Bob. Get his thoughts on drilling. Talk to Bob. That'll so be great. Forth. All right, enjoy your uh, whatever time off, whatever, and we'll t we'll talk to you on Monday. Okay, fabulous. Thank you. All right, here you go, Lisa Desjardins. Are you kidding me? Week and a half, Congress adjourns. Oh, sons of bitches. Seriously, I want people going and standing, uh, without violating the law, of course, and without stalking. I want to go to their houses and be, hey, uh, shouldn't you be at the office fixing the goddamned economy, which is screwing everybody? Oh, man. You know, I tell you, Sarah. Yes, you tell me, Rick. That's really all I had. I tell you. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, what can you do? Hello. It really just it just it just staggers me. Uh, it staggers me that someone. How do I put this? And I was reading this great uh, this great I've been reading this great book, which is just it's actually a book. Did you ever read a book that was actually so? And usually it's with a nonfiction book. Did you ever read a book that was actually so uh, powerful? A book that was so. I don't know. It was sort of like. It was like it was like weirding you out, you know, like a book. It was just blowing your mind, and it's actually so mind blowing. You have to read it in sips. You can't just mm -hmm. gobble the whole thing up because it's like it's like a spicy meal. 
So I've been reading this book, The Way to Win, by Mark Halperin, which is talking about political strategy in the, like, the post-internet and post-Matt Drudge era. And he has this whole thing where he was writing, he has all these memos that Dick Morris was writing to Bill Clinton, and uh, how Clinton was getting his clock cleaned in the first couple years of administration. He wrote these memos called the Father Memos. And he's like, Americans want a father figure. Americans want the president to get on television and be, you know, the strong father. They don't want a president who's like their pal. Uh, they don't want a president who's just like their buddy. You know, this garbage that you want a president you can go drink with. Uh, you know, seriously, then they say that every election time. You know, which candidate would you rather go drink with? Personally, I'd rather have a candidate who doesn't drink and isn't spending any time at the goddamned bar, but who has is at work uh, sort of making things run right. But they had this whole thing about Clinton being the father figure to the point that they actually shrunk the size of his podium. They got a smaller lectern because they wanted him to tower over it on television because he's like Americans want a strong male figure running this. So I'm amazed that somebody hasn't just gotten on TV, Obama or McCain, and said, like, you know, look, things are effed, you know, and everything is going rotten. And it's time to go in and clean house. And I'm just going to fix things by any means necessary. And, uh, you know, and it's going to suck. And everybody's going to find it unpleasant, but it's got to be done. So let's let's get the fixing right now. Uh, just uh, just amazes me. All right, let's do this call, and we'll take a break. Come back, Tim Riley. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Tim, sir. How are you guys doing? What's up? Hello. Oh, not much. I just had a, uh, a Tim Riley sighting uh, yesterday, actually. Was he floating in a spherical dome of some kind? Uh, just about, actually. I saw him on a second tailor wearing a red polo. Is that you, Tim? Tim, were you wearing a red polo? Tim, were you wearing a red polo shirt yesterday? I was. You were spotted by a listener who had the uh, had the had the courtesy and uh, grace not to speak to you. Thank yes, you. Yes, it is. Usually, I'm wearing my earbuds anyway. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, you had your earbuds. All right. Well, uh, he does he does cut quite a dashing figure, doesn't he, sir? He really does. I was like, oh my god, is that Tim Riley? Yes. And, and I started hyperventilating and freaking out. Oh my god, oh my god. And my girlfriend's like, calm down, dude. This Tim Riley. Well, you know, like, it's uh, you know, but it is uh, you know, he's a god, but a humble one. Yes, yeah, he is. All right. Um, I'll, I'll add that to my little uh, Tim Riley shrine in my apartment. All right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> hey, take care, guys. All right. Bye now. Is there a clanking sound? Some... No. Oh. I don't know what you're talking about. Are you about. playing with magnets? Oh, my God. These are the coolest things ever. Yes. Magnets are fun. You Let me understand. You're actually playing with magnets and eating a children's meal today. What is wrong with me? Uh, Sarah? Where, what was my misstep? I uh, I don't really know how to answer that question in the time we have allotted. Okay, I, have, uh, I have nothing. All right. Hello, Tim. Howdy. Have you news for us? Oh, yes. All right. Let's take a break. Come back after this. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Later on, we'll talk to Oregonian TV critic, curmudgeon, and raconteur Peter Carlin. Uh, Let's see. What else we got coming up? Later on, Mr. Skin as well, Jim Roop, and Rowdy Roddy Piper in the studio. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson radio program on AM 970. Stay right there. Here's the DC Boys. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy. It's uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth. Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A missing Oregon teacher tries to commit suicide in New York City and fails. She's at 23 years old and quite attractive. 
She uh, leaped from a pier into a harbor Maybe and not. was rescued by a ferry captain. Not as attractive now, perhaps. Perhaps not. Her name is Hannah Up, with two Ps. She jumped into the chilly waters of New York Harbor, was hospitalized in stable condition. Uh, then they're going to bring in a shrink. The ferry was heading from Manhattan to about a mile from Staten Island when Up was spotted in the water. Uh, the ferry captain employed a rescue craft. The crew members pulled Miss Up to safety. She was wearing a tank top and shorts. The clothing she had on when she was last seen, August 29th, in her upper Manhattan apartment. She planned to go away for the weekend, and when she didn't return, her roommates called police. There are no signs of forced entry into her uh, apartment. Her disappearance prompted a citywide search, with uh, Crime Stoppers and the United Federation of Teachers offering a $12,000 reward. A page on her Facebook uh, was created to help find her. Let me see this alleged attractive picture. She's not that bad looking. So is this like... There was a search for her by the National the National Federation for Missing White Girls. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> She's a cute girl. I think so. On Tuesday, she was spotted at Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, police reached the coffee shop. They heard a commotion at the terminal where they found that she was being pulled to safety. So uh, she teaches Spanish at the Third Good Marshall Academy. Wait, but so she vanished for like three weeks? Four yeah, weeks? I guess so. They know where she was? Uh, they, they knew where she was for a while, but afterwards they got a clue. It, jumping into the water seems like a bad way to kill yourself. Isn't a, oh, sorry, isn't that how Spalding Gray killed himself, jumped off the ferry? Well, they found him in the water, but did he... Because that was where he was last seen. They, they think that he... I mean, they fished him out, the but... Back of the ferry or maybe. Yeah, I, I was unclear about whether he, like, took a bunch of drugs or something before that. But, yeah, it seems like a bad way to go. And and really inefficient, too. So, all right. So there are lots of stories of hunters being stopped by cougars in Oregon. They're raising concerns that the big cats are losing their fear of humans. Good. Good for them. So, uh, apparently, they're ready to attack at any time. Really? You, the you... state's cougar population has doubled since 1994. The year hunting cougars with hounds was banned. Uh, Dan Whitaker, a cougar specialist with the State Fish and Wildlife Department, said Oregon now has 6,000 cougars. The cougar population in northeast Oregon is especially thick. So, so what is the deal? So, when you say that they're being... So, these are hunters who are going into the woods, and then they're being stalked by cougars? Uh, uh, for instance, uh, last month, Sebastian Combs, a 28-year-old ranch hand reported being stalked by a cougar on North Powder Road. This is near Baker City. He was in a tree standing 12 feet from the ground scouting for big game. He said when he saw a pair of eyes staring at him from a patch of brushes. Wait, let me understand this. So this guy, who is a hunter, yes? Yes. Hunt, hunting an alleged... He thought it was deer or elk. An alleged sport. And by the way, uh, an alleged sport in which he was not on the ground, but was in, it was in fact up in a tree, undoubtedly with a high-powered rifle of some kind, mm-hmm. uh, looking for animals. And by the way, don't get me wrong, I'm not... I'm not a pacifist. I'm not a not a vegetarian or a vegan or you know whatever. I mean, I'm an omnivore and all of that, and I understand it. You just don't eat cougar. No, I'm just saying. You know, I'm just saying. Look, if he, if part of it, he chuckles. If part of it is the thrill of the hunt, guess what? The hunt has become more thrilling. Just suck it up. Be a man. You can't go out there with a gun, thinking that you're going to go up and shoot something, and then complain when the things feel badly about that, and decide to come maul your ass. So just quit your bitching. Jesus. I mean, really, I'm all for that. So, uh, you know, you, you ought to be really celebrating it as nature pushing back a little bit and making your weekend even more exciting. So why don't you just uh, quit being a whining jackass? So they want to build a tower that's taller than the Space Needle on the waterfront. It'll cost $120 million. At 650 feet tall, the building would be 10 stories taller than the Wells Fargo building. It, offer, it would offer an observation deck with views of the West Hills north to Mount Rainier. In comparison, the Space Needle is 605 feet tall, so this would be taller. seems way taller than that. It's only 600 feet tall. Yeah. I guess I don't really know what 600 feet is. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the Space Needle seems like it just towers over everything. It does. 
And it never gets old looking either. No. It's the, a great design. You know what it is? Because the Space Needle has got that weird mix of retro and futuristic. Because, you know, the Space Needle is like that thing at LAX. What is that place at LAX? The World of Tomorrow. Oh, the restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. Because, it looks like a flying saucer. Because it's like a future... Uh, it is an idea of what the future looked like from the past, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff never dates. It always looks badass. It, the Space Needle looks like something out of the Jeffersons. Or, uh, the Jeffersons. The Jetsons. <laughs> the Jeffersons. <laughs> Somebody really ought to do that, like a Jeffersons-Jetsons sort of uh, mashup. Um, but it really does look like something in the Jetsons. It has that weird, and, and it is helped by the fact that it's so thin, and then it spreads out to that flying saucer thing within, you know, within the actual needle on top of it. It's really cool looking, so... So it is obviously calling this the SM Art Tower. It stands for, not S&M, Richie, but Sustainable Modern Art, because it would be covered in wind turbines that would produce energy. Oh, so this will have those fans in there. Designers say it would be a monument to sustainability, generating power and selling it to the city. It was designed when the city asked for ideas to replace Portland's old visitor information center. This is where this is going to go, where the McCall's restaurant building is now. Right, right. That's where this is going. Uh, another use, uh, let's see, so apparently this is the, uh, the winner. It'll be like a viewing tower, that's what's beautiful about it, so apparently it's not going to be big enough for a restaurant, but you can climb to the top of it. Now, is this going to... barbed wire around it, too. Is this going to replace McCall's? Doesn't say. You know, I've never eaten there. I always feel like I ought I to. I walked by there. There's a Portland, I know it's probably... Where is it? Is that the place with the, like, bike problem? Yeah, it's the place in the park. Yeah, right there, if you go down like a uh, salmon or whatever, you know, it's it's right there, sort of catty corner to that uh, to that Mercedes place. So I mean, undoubtedly, it's just like priced out the ass. But I mean, so but, it'll cost ten dollars to get to the top of this. Oh, it's a ride. Fair enough. I mean, you know, no, I'm I'm for that. I mean, the Space Needle's pretty cool. Being a, but you, but let's not have any illusions about this either. This is more of that uh, Portland inferiority weak sister complex about like we have a big pointy thing too. We Shut have, up! We have the tenth biggest tower, totally, and the fourth biggest unicorn, and things like I that. I mean, we we do actually have a basketball team. I will say that, but, it, but Portland just play? Portland just lives in such you know, such the shadow of Seattle. I mean, Portland really ought to just embrace the fact that it's Portland and not Seattle, and just be fine with that. But there you know, are people from Seattle who like Portland, and vice versa. It is true, Tim Riley. That is it's true. It's a short train ride away. Well, as long as the, the track isn't uh, blocked, <laughs> unless you're you. Yes, unless. Yeah. I did get a $25 goose certificate for my next trip on Amtrak, yeah, have fun which with that. is like half price. A wildfire burning in the Deschutes National Forest is forcing residents in the small community of Crescent Lake to evacuate. It's a 1,000-acre fire, also closed a 12-mile stretch of Highway 58. Uh, winds caused the Royce Butte fire to blow across retardant and bulldozer lines. Uh, roughly 45 structures in Crescent Lake Junction were evacuated. I don't even know what these places are. No, me either. Well, if you live there, you're probably gone by now. Anyway. Not in my backyard, Tim. That's right. A 14-year-old boy from Blaine, Washington, has broken his own record for blowing up balloons with his nose. Using only the left nostril, Andrew Dahl inflated 308 balloons in an hour. Uh, each of these is at least 8 inches in diameter, and he did it on Live with Regis and Kelly. The Guinness Book of World Records announced he's literally blown the record away with 308 balloons. He said he's a little bit out of breath, but feels pretty good. How old is he? 14. The old mark was doing the 13 balloons in his hometown library back in April. So he he's bro broken his own record. I mean, they must have girls in that town, right? I mean, they apparently he must his, have seen them by now. His dad said he discovered his talent while sitting in the car at age seven. Really? Is that what it's the something only a boy can discover? Is that what the parents are telling him? It's a talent. Really? Is that the lie they're feeding that kid? You are doing your child a well, disservice. Well, they're trying to encourage him. <laughs> he's in Blaine, Washington. <laughs>
I don't even know where Blaine, Washington is. Well, that's why. I grew up in Washington. I have no idea where it is. That's like when your kid comes home with some mangled mess that he's slapped together with finger paints, and you know, at school. No, it's great. No, you look at this. Put it on the fridge. Hey, everybody, look at this great thing my kid did. No, it's really, really well. And then the kid thinks, you know, he's brilliant, and of course everybody's mocking him. So that's a let's not lie to our children and tell them that things like blowing up a balloon with your nostril is a talent, shall we? That benefits. But it's more. only the left nostril. Only the left nostril. Now, is that because only the left nostril? Is that the strong nostril? Do you suppose? I think your nostrils about even are thin. Well, you I get a balloon. Well, I have heard. I don't believe I have any balloons, Tim. Richie, please don't get any balloons. Well, Richie, Richie could try it. I'm sure. I do believe that everything on the left side of your body is slightly larger, even incrementally so. What if that, you're left-handed? Well, I don't. Well, I don't think that enters into the equation. I thought your right side of your body was bigger. No, it's because your heart is on the left side of the body. I believe. I could be wrong about this, but I was always told that everything on the left side of your body was incrementally larger. Actually, I do believe that because my, well, my left foot's bigger than my right foot. Yeah, and I think it's—I think most people, and maybe that has nothing to do with the heart, but I do believe that, yeah, like one ear, slightly bigger than the other, one nostril, one hand, one whatever. So, all right, here's Tim Riley. So, if you have an AIG policy here in Oregon, you are safe, says the state insurance division. How would they know that? But Oregon officials have tried to reassure investors and customers alike as AIG got an $85 billion emergency loan from the U.S. government to rescue the huge insurer. The Federal Reserve said in the statement it determined that a disorderly failure of AIG would hurt the already delicate financial markets in the economy. And, of course, you know, it's not just Americans, it's the world. These are international companies. Yes, they are. Because I was listening to a BBC show, and apparently AIG there is the biggest holder of uh, retirement funds in that country. So it's not just here, it's everywhere. And the U.S., of course, is the tail that wags the worldwide dog. Yes, yes, we are. And, you know, you and I were talking about this during the break, that it's just, you know you know where this all started, Tim? With the bailout of Chrysler. That's where this all began. The Iacocca? Yeah. Well, now GM wants, uh, I think GM and Ford both want $25 billion, so that's fairly reasonable. Yeah, I suppose. It's all, I mean, oh, never mind, never mind, never mind. Well, well, we're just beginning here. You have three more hours. This is going to get worse. I was just going to say. With every story I read. So the auto industry wants $25 billion. Because well, they've been hinting around at it. They haven't formally asked for it yet. They've been sort of, are they doing that thing where they got their hands in their pockets and they're like kicking at the ground with one toe? And <clears throat> so, um, I was wondering. We kind of like made a mistake by building these huge <laughs> vehicles. <laughs> it could happen to anyone. Uh, is that, um, so maybe I was thinking, I don't know what you're doing, um, on Saturday. I mean, I'm just going to be around, but, um, you know, like if you're free, I, we could like. I don't know. Like, if you wanted to do, like, maybe you don't want to do, like, maybe you, you probably got plans. You, you have, I mean, you, uh, you have plans. You probably got plans. I, I don't have plans. I mean, I could. I could have plans. I mean, you could. If you don't have plans, I could have plans. With we could do something. I would just, you could, um, you know, give me twenty five billion dollars. I mean, that's that's what it is, right? We got some ugly, tiny, boxy cars on the drawing board <laughs> that nobody really wants. Well, and you would, you would think they're not as good as other countries, man. But we're sure they're good enough for the American public. <laughs> We're designing some crap. We, we some can pintos and vegas and foist off on a gullible marketplace. Um, you would think, and then I say this, and as I say it, I realize maybe you wouldn't think. I was going to say you would think that they would have learned from the last time we had this debacle in the seventies, when everybody was, "What do you make? Well, I've got this. Uh, I've got this car that's five thousand feet long and it's made out of iron. Really? How many? How many miles of gas? Get two. Okay." You know, and there, are, there are also tax breaks for those buying them. Do you realize if you buy, uh, do you realize this? If you buy a Humvee, you can get a tax rebate of up to twenty-five thousand yeah. dollars. The government will give you 
Up to $25,000 in tax write-off if you buy a Humvee. There you go. Why not buy Your government at work. So, But you would think they would know this from the last time around in the 70s when they got creamed by everybody who's making, what are those things called? Small, efficient cars? I believe it was the Japanese people. Yes. Yes, it was, Tim. Uh, and the U.S. auto industry went so belly up that Lee Iacocca had to go grovel for like $40 billion from, from the government. So, uh, I mean, I he guess you can... back with a big cardboard check. I remember that photo op. I suppose you can do that once. Like, you can once go, um, yeah, we uh, we forgot that uh, cars take gas. And that, by the way, we don't have a guaranteed monopoly on the auto industry. So if you could just help us out. You, I think everybody gets one bite at that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you can go back now and be like, look... Uh, we're making crap nobody wants. Can you give us $25 billion? Jesus. I mean, if we it, promise to take one tire off of everything. <laughs> I mean, really, by that rationale, the government ought to be giving... Never mind, never mind, never mind. I'm We're just sorry. beginning here. Oh, no, I'll have more later. Here's Tim Riley. I mean, this might go on for the rest of the decade, if not into the next one. So, uh, let's talk to some uh, New Yorkers on the street, shall we? And hear what they have to say about the $85 billion uh, loan to AIG to help settle financial woes mm-hmm. long term. We can't have government bailing out um, corporate, you know, businesses like this. But in this instance, AIG is one of the largest insurance companies globally, so they have to bail them out. I mean, there is no question about that. It at least gives us time to work things through, and that builds confidence, and people just got to be smart how they um, manage their leverage. It'll probably have a short-term stabilizing effect, but uh, no, it just doesn't seem like it's a... It's a good thing overall. If this is the last shoe that drops, then everybody will be happy. But if they think more shoes are coming, then it'll just be more of the same. There are always more shoes. There are always more shoes. Always more shoes, my friend. All right. So then we have the British investment bank Barclays coming to the rescue to thousands of Lehman Brothers employees. This is the third largest bank in the U.K. It's agreeing to purchase key segments of Lehman Brothers' uh, operation to keep it intact. Barclay had abandoned plans to buy the entire New York-based firm over the weekend. The sale could save as many as 10,000 workers from unemployment. Uh, meanwhile, John McCain whipped into Wall Street and uh, criticized government regulators for the current financial turmoil. At a campaign stop in Ohio, McCain faulted Wall Streeters for using the market like a casino. We have seen self-interest, greed, irresponsibility, and corruption. Yes, and corruption undermine the hard work of the American people. It's time to set things right. It wasn't too long ago when he wanted to leave businesses alone. I he will say. Deregulation and whatnot. And you were, we were talking about this yesterday. You were making fun of this. I did get an, I don't know how I got on all of these email lists. I mean, maybe they just, uh, they must just have people who just comb the, the interwebs for these things. But I'm on mailing lists for Barack Obama, John McCain, Ralph Nader, WTF. Uh, let's see. Who else am I? Ron Paul is still sending me stuff. Give it up! <laughs> Leave me alone. Jesus. Uh, right. Go back and brew tea and sit and wear tweed. Uh, so I gotta, I'm on mailing list for all these jackasses. But John McCain sent me something yesterday, the latest jackassery from that guy. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, you were. It was. I thought it was actually a gag from you. I thought you were like pulling my pulling my lariat. I got this thing from John McCain. It's like the subject line. John McCain wants to shake things up. I thought you had sent it to me as like a goof. Because uh-huh. you were making that up as like a phrase that he would say that means nothing. Did you guys get an email from Bill Clinton today? I didn't, but I haven't checked all my emails. I think only you get those emails from Bill Clinton, Sarah. I felt Bada bing! What did he say? <laughs> I want to know what he said. Um, let's see. Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton. Did he want to feel your pain? This is our chance, America. 
to move from the division in fear of the last eight years back to unity and hope. We have to work for it. Oh, he wants money. Yeah, of course he does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hillary's like $30 billion, zillion dollars in debt. Yeah, I, and you know, there was that interesting thing where they were talking for a moment about how the Obama campaign was going to extend, quote, the olive branch and offer to help Hillary Clinton pay down her campaign debt. And it's funny that they actually floated that idea just long enough to get the positive press and then apparently never actually did it. So, you know, so well done. Way to game the system, Barack. Uh, John McCain says the CEOs make out like bandits. The people who help cause the collapse make off with tens of millions in severance packages, and that's terrible. Well, as long as John McCain's got health care that's fully paid for, that's what's important here, Tim Riley. You know, these Wall Streeters are making up their own rules. Now as their schemes unravel and bankruptcies and collapse, it's once again public who's left to bear the cost. Wow, there are several splices there. Yes. Yes, it is. Say, where's uh, Romney, who is a proponent of leaving all these corporations alone? Oh, he's, uh, you know, he's with the common people, Tim, because he's not an East Coast elitist. Oh, that's true, even though he's a governor of Massachusetts. And a billionaire. Uh, McCain faults the Bush administration for all this. We don't need a dozen federal agencies doing the job badly. We need the best federal agencies to do the job right. That doesn't mean anything! Oh, I'm sorry. So, uh, talking about the, so we have Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, Barrister Stearns, AIG. There'll probably be more. The auto, the auto industry would be out with their hands out. You know, really, by this rationale, the government ought to be giving $20 billion to Air America because they can't find listeners. I'm sorry, we're putting on this shrill, unlikable programming that nobody wants. Can we have $20 billion? Well, here you go. $20 billion. And do you need your parking validated? Great. Okay, here you go. Wonderful. I mean, seriously. It's why funny do... how all the socialism has taken over American life. Why does the auto industry... I'm not trying to pick on cars. I drive one. Why does the auto industry get $25 billion and, like, you know, like, I can't ask for that? I don't know. You know, um, I don't know. I just can't quite cover expenses, you know? Provide hours of entertainment. Can't quite uh, can't quite handle money properly. G- give me a million dollars. Well, remember when everyone had their hand out after 9-11? They were giving money to anyone, like, a, you know, mousetrap manufacturers. Anyone totally. who could claim any distant relation to 9-11. Mousetraps for freedom, Tim. So uh, we have Massachusetts, a Democratic Congress, and Barney Frank. He's uh, pressuring the mortgage industry to delay many home foreclosures. Oh, I thought I had him here. I guess I don't. That's okay. Oh, I can... Yes, I do. Yes, I the do. level of foreclosures <laughs> we have been seeing cause problems far beyond the individual. Uh... It is clear that the subprime crisis and its reverberations really? have uh, contributed to where we are. So there is a national interest in diminishing foreclosures. After all this time, he still doesn't know mic technique. Can he buy lips? He could, I suppose. They have... Well, he's a frugal congressman. Uh, but, I mean... He's a wealthy man. He's financially independent. They, look, you can buy everything. Buy boobs. You can buy hair. You can buy uh, butt implants. You get uh, your nose fixed. You get fake cheeks, fake lips. Just buy buy something there to put on that big flappy mouth of yours. Buy some lips. You know what I mean? He, you know, you can get your lips enlarged. He actually just needs to start by having lips attached. All he's got is a big flappy thing that covers his eating hole. That's it. All right. Then we have an eating hole. You know it's true. <laughs> Texas Republican Congressman Jeb Harsening questions the logic of government assistance to all those struggling with those home mortgages. Trying to help people uh, stay in homes they could not afford when they bought them and cannot afford today, I do not believe does them any good, does their neighborhood any good, and certainly doesn't do the economy any good. Well, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Uh, you know, and Lycus has made that point repeatedly over the last, like, six weeks or so. He's like, you know, if you... You you knew a lot of people when you bought Humvee, house, hovercraft, 
you know, ski lodge, whatever it is. You knew when you bought stuff sometimes you couldn't afford it, right? You, you know, you go like, hey, uh, this house is like, wait. People try to impress those who really don't care about them in the first place. That's what I'm Susie saying. Orton. Yeah, that, no, see, there you go. Does she say that? Yeah, she does. You could have taken credit for that, but, well, good for you. I don't want to step on Susie Orton. Say, say that again, Tim. People buy things to impress people who don't care about them in the first place. Exactly. And people who, uh, yeah, who, who will really then not be impressed, uh, you know, and who will eventually buy something else that you'll have to try to match. And again, as you pointed out, they don't really care. Um, you know, Susie Orman, she, uh, she approved somebody. It was kind of cool, actually. She approved somebody to buy, to th- buy a $360,000 painting the other day. Some woman was going to buy an original Picasso. And, uh, and she did that great. She did, the, um, she did the reverse at the end. She did the sort of setup and then the reverse. She goes... Girlfriend, this is the Susie Orman Show. Do you believe that Susie Orman would allow you to buy a $360,000 painting? Pause. Well, believe it, girl, because you are approved. And I'm, you know, it's like, it's so great. I love that lady. Susie Orman. She's cool. I wish yeah. I could hire her to handle my money. Really? I'd pay her. I'd give her 80% of what I made just because the other 20% would probably be enough to retire on like a decade. Um... I wonder if she does personal, like, I wonder if you're like Bill Gates or somebody. If you'd be like, Susie Orman, look, I need you to come uh, do my books. Uh, you know what I mean? Oh, she probably charges a fortune. Like Bill Clinton had the had Tony Robbins as, like, his personal coach. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't I buy, uh, hire, I mean, why couldn't I, why couldn't somebody hire Susie Orman? Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I'm, everybody has their mistakes or whatever. But, I mean, let's be honest. If some guy's trying to sell you a house, there's, like, 40 times what you can plausibly afford. You know, as the Mormons say... The still small voice inside, you know when you buy something, if you can afford it or not. You know when you buy some big-ass uh, car, whether or not you need it and can afford it. You know when you buy a house, whether you can afford it. So I do agree that if you bought something you couldn't afford in the first place and you get hosed, that's kind of on you. But that being said, why doesn't the same thing apply to the auto industry? And somebody just sent me an email, very well-reasoned, thought-out, pointing out that the auto industry needs this money because they need time to retool and retrain. My point would be, that would all be true. Like, I would agree. Well, okay, the auto industry needs breathing room because they need to retool their factories for, like, cars of the future or whatever and retrain people. I guess that would hold some water if the auto industry hadn't gone through exactly the same thing in the 70s. -hmm. And by the way... They don't learn. No, they don't. And incidentally, look, I barely graduated from high school. How is it? I mean, be, be, all of us here in the room together. I mean, the, the, Richie, did you go to a real college? Yeah. What real college did you go to? Yes, 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 to a lot of colleges. I think you went to College of California for a while too. Graduated did you graduate from any of those colleges? Industrial waste treatment, CSU. All right, industrial waste treatment with the. Remember, right. that's how he lost his smelling. Mm-hmm. I guess I forgot that he smelling, went to school for the weird. lost his smelling. <laughs> anyway, my point was going to be, Sarah went to college, Tim went to college and then left. Yes. I didn't I, go I to college at all. Uh, so, I mean, I barely graduated from high school, but even I, even I, with my tiny human brain, could have told you, as I think we all could have like five, ten years ago, hey, you know, uh, that oil thing is going to screw you eventually. Maybe you ought to be, uh, you know, thinking about some other kind of car you can sell. So if, if that occurred to all of us, and I would say everybody in America, like, like a decade ago, how is it that the auto industry somehow, like it never occurred to them until just read, hey, maybe we ought to sell something else. So I don't really think you get, I don't really think you ought to get rewarded or give, have money to you because you were dumb. So it's like when, uh, it's like when Hillary Clinton says, 
Uh, and I think Dennis Miller says this. He's, this. Hillary Clinton says that she had no idea that Bill was uh, was putting it to somebody else. And he says, you know, I'm pretty sure that makes you not smart enough to be president. Uh, I, I don't know whether I agree with that or not, but I will say, if you were not smart enough in the auto industry to think that maybe reliance on foreign oil and gas and everything was maybe going to cause you a problem, maybe you're not smart enough to be making cars. So, And maybe giving you $25 billion is just, uh, that's good money after bad is what that is. Here's Tim Riley. So the uh, the big thing right now, and still with all those Republicans, uh, they don't care so much for John McCain, but they love Sarah Palin. As a matter of fact, her presence is really bringing them in. The only problem is, once Sarah Palin leaves and John McCain starts to speak, all the women take a break and will come back. That's awkward. Uh, yes, the Republican ladies are in a frenzy to see uh, Sarah Palin. I am beaming. <laughs> I'm very excited. They believe she's more of a person than a politician. Uh, she's a woman, and I'm a woman, and um, <laughs> I have five children. She has five. Your really? gender on display, Sarah oh Dillon. My God. Yes. All the more reason to vote. Feel some shame, Sarah Dillon. Those are... She has breasts <laughs> and hair. I love her. We both like soup. <laughs> Oh, wow. Can you play that one more time? I was laughing over part of that, and then Sarah was gasping in horror. She's a woman, and I'm a woman, and um, I had five children. She has five. Oh, my God. Who is that? Some breeder. I mean, some uh, (laughs) constituent. She's a woman, and I'm a woman, and um, I had five children. She has five. Seriously, I want to take that and send it to Tom Likas. What is that called? He may not have. I'm sure. I, no, no lie. I'm gonna send that to Tom Likas. That is RDD, GRP, zero nine one, seven three. Dot WAV. All right. They, you know, it's they an election. What they it's, set out to do. The idea that the election, uh, there's some big match dot com, <laughs> you know, set up. Mm-hmm. Well, we have two levels of compatibility. That's really enough. And really, Sarah really nailed it, too. No, 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 we both got vaginas. It's the darndest thing. He, uh, you know, it's fantastic. It's crazy. It's and crazy. Biden cannot apologize enough for not having one. I know. Uh, he, that ought to be his campaign slogan. Biden, Obama, sorry about the no vagina thing. It'll be somebody a, do that. Somebody create that, it, put that on the web. It'll be a circle with an X through it. There. Somebody create that, put that out on the interweb. Maybe give me a little credit if you want at the bottom. You know, Obama, Biden, sorry about not having vaginas. And I would say that men are exempt from this, you know, because men typically, he's got a penis, I've got a penis. I mean, what's not to like? Men don't do that, but men do that stupid thing of, which they did, by the way, with George W. Bush. Men do that stupid thing of, uh, well, you know, he's the guy that I'd rather have a beer with. I mean, if you ever know somebody that says to you, I think I'm going to vote for him because he's a guy I'd like to have a beer with. That's a guy that should be forcibly sterilized. You know? This guy ought to be, uh, he ought to have his junk taken away. So he can't pass on his uh, stupid genes to the next generation. She's a woman, I'm a woman, we've both got five kids. <sighs> okay. Here's Tim Riley. So here's a statement that uh, should answer one of your questions from earlier. Apparently. Is this going to make me irritated? No, we okay. found out. What's driving Wall Street right now, and it is fear. It says, we must put out a fire. It's causing investors to wonder which major financial institution will fail next. So nobody really knows what to do about this. Nobody. So wait, but who's, who is saying this? 
uh, financial analyst Bill Rogers. Oh no, yeah. So uh, so it was the, so Sarah uh, Sarah Lisa actually had that that cut earlier when I was talking to Lisa Desjardins, mm-hmm. and I think Harry Harry Reid said the same thing. But he's like, oh, we don't know what to do. So and I'm and I, I don't really and I honestly don't know how I feel about that when they say uh, we don't know what to do. I'm unclear whether whether that whether I admire their sort of honesty or whether I want them to. Like, on the one hand, lie and say they know what to do, and then meanwhile, in the background, actually be working on fixing it. They, they need to say what politicians always say, that our liberty and freedom is still intact. Seriously. No, no, no. Tim, as long as the American family you're, uh, is You're protesting. roasting rats out of a flaming barrel. <laughs> your, your liberty and freedom are still intact. But at least your children aren't being taught by gays. All right. Jesus, God. Uh, let's uh, take a break. I have to, uh, I have to go mentally reset. Before I, just be, before I just become, before I just begin giggling and, and you know without being able to stop. Oh. But seriously, all this stuff has never happened before since probably the Great Depression. And a lot of people always say that, but this didn't even happen yeah. during the like Nixon's time. You know, at least during the Great Depression, you didn't get you wouldn't have to go around. I don't know what to do. Uh, back after this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, be soothed by the sounds of Motorhead. We will return around the corner on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Why, hello. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. And we just can't believe it ourselves. It's 503-733-2970. That's why I love this job. I really do. I really do love this job. As I always say, you know what, every day, you know... I do it for another 50 years, or if I do it for another 24 hours, whatever. Every day I do this job is a day that, uh, you know, I'm not out there having to, like, carry concrete around in a bucket. So, and I love this, and I love this job because of... I see the woman, and I'm a woman, and um, I had five children. She has five. Jesus God Almighty. And who is that targeting us? I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. There you go. Fantastic. The great unwashed. <laughs> the rabble, Tim. It's uh, 503-733-2970. And you know, There'll great... be five more to carry on this tradition. And the good thing about us, Tim, uh, you know, Tim, uh, this, jo- this show and uh, this, this, you know, the, what we do here in the news hour, is that really for all of us, there's just so much stupid to go around that we're never going to run out. You know what I mean? Because as you said, that woman's going to have five more kids who will undoubtedly have five more kids and five more kids. And there will be job security for pundits uh, forevermore. I mean, really, and that's on both sides of the aisle. We're never going to run out of idiocy on which to ruminate. I see the woman, and I'm a woman, and um, I had five children. She has five. Uh, I would give anything to have no, her phone number. No, never. I would just, really. I would give all the money in my pocket right now to have that woman's cell phone number, so we could call her and just say like. I'm sure she's not the only one. Go to one of these things. No. aisles full of them. No, probably, probably all the women who uh, you know who are standing next to her ordering like vanilla half calves. They all agree, Tim. All right, here's Tim Riley. Uh, Chinese-made sofas are causing painful eczema outbreaks in France. A French retailer has withdrawn the sale of Chinese-made sofas and armchairs after hundreds of buyers say they developed a painful rash from them. (laughs) Doctors have warned they could be linked to an eczema outbreak in uh, some patients. The retailer has sold the sofas and chairs since 2005. Some of the furniture made in China contain too much 
anti-mole substance that's causing an allergic reaction to many people. It should be noted, of course, that everybody who has read World War Z understands this, that uh, you know, China is where the zombie outbreak uh, happens. That's where the zombie apocalypse originates, Tim, is in China. They're not to be trusted. So, uh, eczema is a singularly unpleasant word, by the way. I don't really care for that word at all. Wow, they have weird people in England, too. A woman was stabbed more than 20 times by an unknown shopper at a U.K. supermarket. The 22-year-old was at a grocery store, which she was attacked. After several jabs with a knife, the attacker wrestled her to the ground and continued to stab her. Jesus, stab her? I barely knew her. No, that doesn't really work. Shopper? I barely knew her. Then somebody, uh, dragged the woman away from the attacker. Attacker? I barely knew her. All right. So I'm talking about this uh, CBS program. I don't watch it personally, but it is a fine CBS program. Indeed, it's called Big Brother 10. Apparently, Renegades Dan and Memphis went head-to-head in the grand prize for a half million dollars after counting the votes from seven previously evicted housemates. Host Julie Chen announced the winner last evening. I have three votes for Dan, no votes for Memphis. You need at least four to win. Ollie's vote goes to... The winner of Big Brother Ted. Who? Have you noticed that all of the music for those reality shows in the elimination round all seems to come from the same production library? It's yeah. like one CD. Oh, that person is rich. Totally. Like one guy, and all he did was he held down one key that was like a... And then in the background there's a... And that just plays over the... And that's... You know, that's Donald Trump, Martha Stewart... The Survivor, Big Brother, Project This, Operation That, whatever. It's all just that one, it's all that one CD providing the soundtrack to all those shows. That's Man, that's some money I had to get. It's like, I think I told you the last time I went and I got a massage at the place. You know, they've got that weird, that like new agey kind of music that plays while you're kind of getting the massage or whatever. But it's like to call it music is almost saying too much about it because it really is just like, it's like the sound of a breeze and then occasionally somebody hitting random strings on a harp. I mean, it almost is not a composition at all. And you know that there's some guy wrote and recorded the whole thing like 30 minutes, got paid 50 grand for it. So that'll get me some of that money. Here's Tim Riley. Time for a Britney watch. Here's your really? Yeah. Here's your Britney watch for a Wednesday on the Rick Emerson program. <laughs> Lynn Spears sets the record straight in her new tell-all book, Through the Storm, a real story of fame and family in a tabloid world. It tells the story how Lynn watched her superstar daughter, Brittany, go from being a sweet child to spiraling out of control. Lynn admitted during an interview on the Today Show that neither she nor anyone else knew how to deal with Britney's rise to stardom. We didn't really know what we were doing. We were, we were kind of in shock at what was going on and in awe at the same time. Damn. She, she just sounds, you know. <laughs> she exudes intelligence. I was going to say, you She's know. She's a woman and I'm a woman. I was just going to I had five children. She has five. I was that just going to say. That is not fair. She, Why did she have to really know woman? what we were doing. <laughs> she sounds she sounds just she sounds just like that woman, doesn't she? I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. All right. We so didn't really know what we were doing. Sisters doing it for themselves, Sarah. Lynn Spears said at first she was excited, 
As uh, Brittany got to take exciting trips, and they were exposed to many interesting people and brand new experiences. There was that honeymoon period where it looked like she could do no wrong. And then, and you know, then there's that ugly side of fame that turns, and we weren't ready for that. God, you're dumb. And it all turned to sadness as Brittany's life spiraled, uh, spiraled out of control. She is a superstar, and everyone watches 17 paparazzi assigned to her 24-7. And then when you have heartache, I think it, the mixture's just not healthy. You know, I like how, by the way, when she says there was a period when Brittany could do no wrong, mm -hmm. in the same interview where she says that Brittany was drinking at 13, drugging at 14, and was getting it on with, like, random guys at 15. So exactly when was this period that Britney could do no wrong? Is that when she was still in the womb? Was this when she was, was this fetal Britney who could do no wrong? I'd like to ask Lynn Spears that. Was, was she doing no wrong when she was, like, coked up at the age of 15? God. Then Jamie Lynn thought her other daughter, Jamie Lynn's pregnancy, was a joke. Apparently she was handed a note, and she was told to go to the, a bedroom and read it. The note said she was pregnant, but everything's going to be okay, Mom. That's that's usually how that ends. And that she and boyfriend okay. Casey Aldridge were going to raise the baby. I thought it was a joke, said Spears. I kept waiting for the punchline. But Spears said she realized it wasn't a joke, because Aldridge, a pipe layer from Liberty, Mississippi, wouldn't even look at her. I was truly in shock, and then I started to cry. Then she started consoling me at that point, said Spears who writes of Jamie Lynn and her oldest daughter, Brittany, in the new memoir, Through the Storm. As a mother, don't we always blame ourselves? I mean, we're, we're the first one that's going to take the blame. We never get the credit, but we always question ourselves and say, what did I do? Well, she totally should blame herself. Certain people, it's all her fault. It, yeah, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Sarah on this. Certain people blame themselves, certain people don't. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. All right, there's your Brittany watch for Wednesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Incidentally, speaking of... I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. So, you know, we had that whole thing about the... Oh, did you guys get that website, the Find Your Sarah Palin name? No. no. I forwarded it to both yeah, of you. Yeah, I, I got it. But oh, I, I got it. I haven't looked at it. You go there. It's like... Remember, remember how a while back we rolled into finding our Wu-Tang name? Mm -hmm. uh, Tim's was Dependable Skeleton. Uh, <laughs> mine was Crafty Bernardo. I forget what Sarah's was. Mine was terrible. I can't remember either. Yeah, yours was like... Humpy, humpy, something or other. <laughs> I think um, but you can find your Sarah Palin Enter name. My name. And so it's like if you were if you were born to Sarah Palin, what would she name you? What would Sarah Palin name you, Sarah Dillon? Let's see. Strangle Thicket Palin. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. What uh, was yours? I don't know. I forget. Something terrible. I'll put it in. Here. But uh, yeah, just find it. Yeah. What is what is my Sarah Palin name? Crust Scramble Palin. <laughs> Crust. Scramble Palin. Yes. Oh, that's great. Tim that sounds Riley. like a that sounds like a whiskey tango foxtrot kind of a thing. Tim is Blitz Harden. That's his porn name as well. <laughs> uh, so, um, oh, Hardin. All right. Uh, oh my gosh! And Richie's is Hose Hot Rod. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Um, what was I saying here? Uh, blah blah blah. Sarah Palin. Oh, so you know, this is the whole thing about her uh, about her kid. Uh, what's her name? Bristol having the having the baby and the baby. And whatever. 
So that was true. Everybody talked about it. But you notice this. Here's what the here's what the media. Here's why people don't like the media, or here's why I don't like the media. Here's what the, I say is part of the media. Here's the problem: is that the Republicans and the Democrats need to learn this. The Democrats need this is yet one more as they this is there's a term in the corporate world called skill set. You know, well, I really you know he has the right skill set to be working here. And skill set is another one of those things they've done in the corporate world where they've taken one word that was really perfect. And for no reason, they've taken a one-syllable, one-word description, and they've made it two syllables and two words. For example, remember when things were just signs? Now it's signage. Let's go hang. I mean, they used to say, we're going to go to the event. We're going to hand some, uh, some station signs up. Now it's, we're going to go hang some station signage all over the place. There's no I point. I love the word signage. I know, but it's, it's, it's totally ridiculous. But it's kind of unnecessary. Yeah. Signs, signage. So now in the business world, they don't say he has the right skills. They will, in fact, say, and I, I use this phrase myself because I'm retarded. They will say, no, 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 and, you know, um, he's really ambitious, real go-getter, uh, and he does, uh, you know, he has a great skill set. It's just what we're looking for. What is his skill set? He has great skills. This is one syllable, done, over. So anyway, but the, the thing about the media is this is a skill set that the Democrats have never mastered, that the Republicans have got down to a science, where the Republicans will scream so loudly that the media is biased that they like, it's like the Jedi mind crap, where they will like wave their hand and go, the media's biased against Republicans. You cover us unfairly. And then the media goal goes, yes, we, are, we cover you unfairly. And so the media will then willfully overlook things that ought to matter. So the media gets all over the Palin family because the daughter's out there like spreading her legs for a hockey player. And... So and then you know and then the Republicans scream. It's unfair. It's wrong to make the daughter the issue. Quit talking about the Palin family. And so then what happens? It comes out that Sarah Palin's kid Track is an OxyContin abuser. He is abusing and hooked on OxyContin for two years. Which, by the way, uh, is a I do believe that's what they call a Schedule One drug. And incidentally, Sarah Palin and I'm only saying this because it's true. As the governor, Sarah Palin is the chief law enforcement agent in her state. She is the chief law enforcer in Alaska. And then she's got some kid who is presumably illegally hooked on OxyContin for two years. But have you heard one person ask about it? No. Keep in mind, I don't expect the media to be responsible. Whatever. I'm just saying, if you're going to talk about the fact that she's got a kid, eh, why are you not addressing the fact that she, like, apparently is, is so dense that she couldn't tell that her kid was strung out on OxyContin for two years? And it's, I think it's because the Republicans have got this down to a science where they go to the, you are treating Sarah Palin unfairly. And so when the actual issue comes out, the media goes, well, I guess we better not even mention it. I, uh, the Republicans were mean to us. They yelled at us last time, and we don't want to be yelled at. So let's, um, let's not talk about that. Let's have more stories about um, Megan Fox dating a stripper. Let's get right on that. Here's are there any new ones? No, just, just the one pandering. You know, the thing about Megan Fox, uh, the Transformers girl, there was this obviously uh, fabricated story that her people put out yesterday where she was like, and I used to have this long relationship with this stripper named Nikita, uh, which I read because you got to give the people what they want. Mm-hmm. Dude, dudes want to hear what dudes want to hear. Uh, so, you know, and like a lot of guys, I can sort of believe that it's true, even though I know that it's not. Guys can delude themselves into believing all kinds of crap. But, but it would help if it was actually a girl that I found to be really hot, and I just don't find Megan Fox to be all that. I mean, she's an attractive woman in some abstract way, but she's an attractive woman like a lot of those girls on the cover of Maxim are. Or in Playboy, where you look at me, I kind of, but you know, she. But there's nothing sexy to be about Megan Fox. She's an attractive girl, but I don't find her sexy. There's sort of a difference. Uh, now you find out that Charlotte Church was getting it on with a stripper. I am all over that action. 
I will take a piece of that. So, um, let's take some calls, shall we? That'd be fun. We'll do some more news on KCMD Portland. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello, Rick. How's it going? What's up, brother? Hey, uh, two really big points that uh, you guys haven't touched on concerning this whole bailout that yes, uh, they're doing with mine and yours money. Uh, first on the car thing, why doesn't everybody look to Toyota, Nissan, and Honda? They're sitting on huge piles of cash because they built cars that you and I bought. I'm sorry, but I, say that one more time. I could have missed the, the last part but, of it there. As, as Harry Reid was talking about bailing out GM and also both, right. both Chrysler and Ford have right. been asking. Right. Well, we should look to Toyota, Nissan, and Honda to lend them the money because they're sitting on huge piles of cash because they built quality cars that both you and I ah, bought. Ah, so you're saying, okay, wait, let me understand. I'm going to bring it all back. As you know, Rowdy Roddy Piper is going to be in the studio later on today. So I can bring it all back to Rowdy Roddy Piper with this. So what this would be like, and I was having this discussion with my friend Chris Morris last night, a huge pro wrestling fan. This would be like how, if you all remember in the mid-'90s, Ted Turner started his own competing wrestling league called the WCW, and they competed with what was then the WWF, now the WWE. But Ted Turner had the WCW, and he raided uh, Vince McMahon, took a lot of the wrestlers like Hulk Hogan, had a guy named Eric Bischoff who was helping to run the joint, was also an announcer. And the WCW was doing real well. Then the WCW ran into cash problems, and long story short, Ted Turner... It was like he had to find a, a seller for it. Ted Turner had to unload the WCW and couldn't fi couldn't find any money, couldn't find a buyer for it. So Vince McMahon from the WWF stepped up and said, look, I got all this money because I'm doing wrestling correctly and you guys are fools. So I will now buy the WCW because I have the money to do so. So you're saying that those guys ought to step in and take care of it. Well, they should, yeah, because they're the ones that have been building the products that, that Americans buy. And then the other thing is, with the whole insurance bailout of AIG, have Tim explain to you who Berkshire Hathaway is, owned by you know Warren Buffett. Is Berkshire, Hath is Berkshire Hathaway like a, a British cabaret singer? Berkshire Hathaway is an American company owned oh. by Warren Buffett, which also owns Geico. And they have been largely successful because they didn't invest in any of the subprime stuff. In fact, when Bear Stearns was going down, the federal government came to Warren Buffett to ask him to step in and buy it, and he said, no thanks. You know, it just occurs to me right now that, A, I don't know a whole lot, and so when, you, when we have these conversations, my brain glazes over. But I keep thinking about, um, who, was, who was Gilda Radner's character that was always getting the names wrong on SNL, Tim? You know who I'm talking about? I, I know her name. She would come out with the glasses, and she would. And I in my a bender or something. Now, like that. I, I in my head as you were talking about this, I kept hearing Gilda Radner's voice going. And when is Jimmy Buffett gonna step in and really do what needs to be done? So, all right. Have Tim explain it to you. I was due. Thank you. Thanks. There you go. By the way, Berkshire Hathaway sounds like somebody who'd be the guest host on uh, Masterpiece Theater. KCMD Portland. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey, you. Uh, have I missed it? Did you talk about uh, the fact that Sarah Palin's Yahoo account got hijacked and the group Anonymous uh, posted a whole bunch of her information on the net? Now, do we know that Sarah Palin actually had a Yahoo account, like for, for reals? Yep. Where did yep. you hear this, sir? Uh, it's on ZDNet.com. And uh, this was posted uh, a couple of hours ago, about three hours ago. All right. Sarah's looking uh, into it as we speak. Yeah. I just sent you a link to it as well. Uh, it turns out that uh, it looks as if uh, Governor Palin was using uh, a couple of Yahoo addresses to kind of keep some of her correspondence off the grid, off the radar, so they wouldn't get archived. It does. It is interesting uh, to me, though, that, like, you would not know that they get that track that, like, the kid in your house was sort of, like, 
breaking the law with a heavy-duty drug. It just It's very puzzling. So. Yeah, the whole thing's a train wreck, and yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing it start to burn. All right, thank you, sir. Uh, uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello, Dave. Hey, Rick. Hello. Uh, and to everybody else there. Um, and the also, rest. Yeah. Uh, Palin's son also was involved in breaking into the bus barn up in Anchorage or wherever the little town is there from. Now, this is... Uh, cut all the brake lines. Hold on, let's, hold on, let's, hold on. Let's back up for a second. Now, this is, this is an allegation. This is a thing you so are this saying. This is an actual fact. He was, he was, him and his buddy got uh, arrested and convicted and had to do restitution and a bunch of other stuff. Is they did this, something else, too, but is I this, remember what it was. Is this a matter of public record, sir? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. I don't wish to traffic in gossip. No, 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 no. This is, was, you know, he was 18 or 17 in, in high school, and they thought, oh, we'll break into the bus bar and cut all the brake lines. And uh, I think they trashed something else. I don't remember what it was, but they uh, had a big, long story about him. Excellent. Thank you, sir. You betcha. All right. There see you ya. go. All right. Bye. Uh, let's do one more here, and then we'll, uh... Ah, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Bring it. Uh, Mr. Emerson, are you aware of a South Park's cripple fight? Uh, what you mean with, with between Jimmy and Timmy? Yes, sir. That yes. fight sequence was stolen blow for blow from They Live. Oh, no, that's true. Uh, and They Live, which is the longest fight sequence in movie history between Rowdy Rowdy Piper and Keith David. Exactly. Keith... I, I thought you might not be aware of it. Um, I, you know, I forgot that little tidbit, and that's the one between... Between Tim A and, and, and Jimmy, who's the, the, the comedian on crutches, who kind of sounds like Barney Frank, actually. Um, so I had forgotten that that was taken from They Live, though. And I, if I, maybe this is a thing I did, or maybe I'm just hoping that I did it. I think I might have pointed out to my wife at the time, like, this is from They Live. They Live, <laughs> which is, oh, dude, it's a, They Live is a John Carpenter movie from the mid to late, I think, like 89, maybe 88. Oh, I loved it. It's it's a fantastic. It still holds up. It's still good. It's Roddy Roddy Piper and Keith David. And for people who don't know who Keith David is, you know him for two things, three things. Keith David is the how'd you get the beans above the Franks guy in Something About Mary. Keith David is the voice of Spawn in the HBO animated series. And Requiem for a Dream fans, Keith David is the guy who says ass to ass. <laughs> Sorry, no, he wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't really gonna go that way. I was gonna go. Made Marion. That's what I was going to say. Thanks for, no, no, no. Give it to mayor. Thanks for taking it to that special place, though. <laughs> sorry, Bye sorry. now. Uh, well, that escalated fast. Uh, yeah, so Keith David is in, is in They Live with Roddy Roddy Piper, and they have the longest fist fight in movie history. No lie, it's like eight minutes long. It's genius. I mean, it's, just, it's so wonderful. All right. Here's Tim Riley, kids. Well, here's a little positive news. America is still trying to become the the best country in the nation for this kind of research. Now, if two-ply toilet paper is good, then three-ply toilet paper must be better. At least that's what toilet paper researchers mm -hmm. at Northeastern Wisconsin University hope. Yes, there is such a thing as toilet paper research. And a team of them at Georgia Pacific's Innovation Institute in Nina have come up with three-ply toilet paper. It's going to be launched next Monday. And uh, this is, uh, let's see, their trade name is Quilted Northern. Does anybody really, I mean... It's for women, 45 and older, who view their bathroom as a sanctuary for quality time. Wait, let me understand this. So women, so Sarah, just so you know, now yesterday we talked about menstruation and how you okay. should uh, be cheery and don't be a grouch okay. and turn that frown upside down. All right. Just so you know, apparently there'll be more changes happening to your body, and when you hit 45, you'll need three-ply toilet paper. I see the woman, and I'm a woman, and um, I had five children. She has five. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. So there you go. We didn't really know what we were doing. Uh, I know. It's enough to make one weep for one's gender, isn't it, Sarah? 
Somewhere Gloria Steinem is crying. Oh, for the love of God. Hollywood. Actor Ryan O'Neill and his 23-year-old bastard son, Redmond, <laughs> have been arrested on alleged drug possession charges. He doesn't even know who his real father is. It's Farrah Fawcett. Oh. What? Uh, sure. Uh, uh, Sheriff's spokesman says the two were arrested today at Ryan O'Neill's Malibu, California home. Deputies were reportedly conducting a routine sweep in Malibu. Uh, this is relating to Redmond's probation when they say they found him in possession of narcotics. Police say they later found a vial of drugs in Ryan O'Neill's bedroom, too, they believe to be methamphetamine. But the 67-year-old actor and his son are in custody on $10,000 bail each. The end. I, I don't even know. I, we talked a little bit about Ryan O'Neill earlier. I was just going to say that, I mean, first of all, it's kind of sad that Ryan O'Neill, who's been in many, many films, and is on Bones. Somebody told me he's on Bones. I don't watch that He's anymore. He's really puffy looking. Yeah, well, you can say I got through graphic for you. Yeah, it's too much. That's David Boreanaz, right? Yes. Yeah. So he's on Bones, still can't afford good drugs, has to buy meth. I would think that part of the, one of the perks of being a celebrity, I'm not advocating that you take drugs or your body's a temple and all that, all that jazz, but uh, if you're going to do drugs, well, first of all, let me just pull up a chair. If you're going to do drugs, yes. it seems like, A, you might have the money to do a high, higher class of drugs, let's say cocaine. Uh, which at least has the advantage of not being made out of crap from underneath your kitchen sink. Also, isn't one of the perks of being a celebrity that people just give you drugs? You don't have to buy them? I suppose. I yeah. mean, that's right. That's the thing. You, you're a celebrity. People offer you drugs. Well, seriously, what has Ryan O'Neill done for a living for the past 30 years? I don't, I don't really know, but it seems like you probably only need one hit, and then you can uh, you know, you know, get big, big bags of cocaine off that for the rest of your life. And live in Malibu. If somebody made the observation once, you know, the irony is that the, the wealthier you get, the less stuff you actually have to buy because people give you everything. You yeah. know, so if you're if you're home, if you're scraping by a minimum wage, really, you know, you know, unless you're absolutely just destitute and on the dole, if you don't make a lot of money, nobody gives you anything. Nobody's taking you out to dinner. Nobody's giving you, uh, you know, free clothes. As soon as you become a celebrity and a millionaire, people buy you dinner, they buy you drinks, they give you gift bags worth forty thousand dollars. The richer you get, the more stuff people actually give you, and the less money you have to spend which is how the rich remain rich, I think. So it's sad that, you know, that Ryan O'Neill is actually still having to, uh, you know, not only to, to, to buy his own drugs, but apparently having to buy the cheapest drug imaginable. That's just sad. That is sad. More from Hollywood. It's the must-have accessory of every major award show. A baby. Emmy organizers rolled out the red carpet this morning for the 60th anniversary primetime Emmy Awards at the new Nokia Theater in Los Angeles, giving the public a small glimpse of what's in store. Beauty and style experts are busy accessorizing the stars for the diamond anniversary of the Emmy Awards. Michael O'Connor talks about some of the jewelry trends you'll be seeing on the red carpet. Earrings are going to be a little shorter than they were last year. They're going to be comprised of either very simple platinum and diamond studs or earrings that are probably up on the ear. I think that that's the biggest trend. That started earlier in the year with Cameron Diaz, for example, who was wearing something very close to the ear. So that's one of the trends. The other trend are stacked bracelets. We didn't really know what we were doing. We were, we were kind of in shock at what was going on and in awe at the same time. You know, rather than earrings, I would think Cameron Diaz would be starting that trend of having your craggy-ass face sanded down so yeah. you're relatively smooth. Did you? I, I know, already know the answer. Oh, no, her face looks like a sea of Have tranquility. Have you seen what happens in Vegas? No. She looks awful. Yeah. Awful. Awful, awful. Like, yeah. even, like, her good body can't even save that, that wreck of a face. I have never found Cameron Diaz to be that hot. She was pretty in the mask. Well, you know, that's the thing. She's pretty, 
and and kind of cute. That's the other thing. I've never found her to be that beautiful. Never found her to be sexy at all. Ever, ever, ever. Uh, and she is not helped by HDTV. Let me say that. Uh, you you watch yourself a little any given Sunday. That's a that's a lot of bad and load. And she that nose job. It looks like there's a, like her nose is completely uneven. She has like a scoop out of one side of it. But doesn't that really kind of make you feel good though that even celebrities get bad plastic surgery? You know what I mean? You kind of go, hey, in your face, Cameron Diaz, jillionaire. You know, even your mm-hmm. even you can't get the get your nose done correctly. All right, here's Tim Riley. Pimping the children of the dead at the tender age of four, Steve Irwin's son Bob is about to get his own wildlife show, and a recently filmed pilot, Bob. Expertly handles reptiles and wrestles a mini alligator. Apparently, his sister Bindi has her own animal program also on Kids Discovery Channel. Uh, the family watches Steve Irwin DVDs every morning for breakfast. That's creepy. That's completely... I don't know if that's true or not, but if it's true, that's creepy. Let's go say hello to Daddy on the glass altar. This is a very strange... That's family. a weird family. That family is not... You know what Bindi Irwin reminds me of? Reminds me of that Haley... What was her name? Haley Joe Eisenberg or whatever? That actress, you know what I'm talking about with the curly no. hair. She did the those... girl. Yeah, she did the. You Haley Joel Osment, which is the boy. What was her name? Haley Eisenberg. Who's Haley? She was that girl. She oh, was the, little... the Pepsi girl. Yeah. No smoking. That girl did the diet Pepsi thing in the theater, and she had like the button doll's eyes, dead eye. She did have dead eyes. Yeah, totally. That's that's what that Bindi Irwin girl reminds me of. I just bit my tongue. Fans keeping up with the melodrama of the new 90210 series on the CW. Should know by now the big reveal from last night's episode. For those who missed it, here it is. The father of Kelly Taylor's four-year-old son is none other than... Dylan McKay, the bad boy played by Luke Perry in the original Fox Beverly Hills 90210 series. Jenny Garth has reprised her role as Kelly Taylor for the new spinoff. While Garth said she would love to work with Perry again, she says it's up to the producers whether or not he will join her for the new age 90210. Mm-hmm. The whereabouts of the Dylan character are still unknown, but Garth says it's possible that information will be revealed in later episodes. What has been revealed is Tori Spelling, of course, will not be rejoining the program. Hey, can I tell you, here's a little gag somebody ought to do. Remember last week we were talking about Man from Atlantis, which apparently yes. is available on DVD. Not uh, not officially. It's like a bootleg. There's a guy selling a bootleg collection the entire series. Man from Atlantis, like 25 bucks, which is the sort of thing I'd feel okay about buying, because, again, you can't buy it legally. Like, it's never been officially released. Uh, sort of like uh, somebody similar to me but legally distinct from me owns the entire run of WKRP in Cincinnati. Original music, everything, the entire series with the original music unedited uh, because there was a guy selling uh, bootleg copies of it because you couldn't buy it. It was not released. So I feel I feel okay about that. I mean, the guy who's not me feels okay about mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Man from Atlantis, TV's Patrick Duffy. So here's, here's two things you need to know about Patrick Duffy, sir. One, Man from Atlantis. Two... Well, and then he was, and then Patrick Duffy was, I think, the right leg of the creature Scuzzlebutt in South Park. And Patrick Duffy also starred in um, Daddy. That's right. No, wait, was that the thing with Suzanne Summers? No, it wasn't Suzanne Summers. It was the, that's the who's lady. That's the sheriff. Who oh, she's the sheriff. No, but it's day by day, step by step. Yeah, no, he was in step by step. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I was trying to think of the woman in Daddy. It was uh, the lady who was Wonder Woman. <laughs> Linda Carter. I think so. I don't yeah. know what we're talking about. Yeah. Was it a, a sitcom or something? No, it was a movie. Oh, okay. It was a Danielle Steele novel brought to life. Why was it called? You just said jazz hands with that. Why was it called Daddy? I don't. My friend gave it to me as a gift. I have it on VHS. Um, it's about a guy trying to start his life again with his three kids uh, after his wife leaves him and she has an affair. 
And he's trying to be the best father that he can be. Yeah. I don't know, it's called Daddy. It's like the creepiest, most awesome movie ever. You know, what is up with Daniel Steele? Is she a real person? Or is there like a, like a robot somewhere? She that... kind of looks like Joan Rivers, but prettier. Then he embraced her, letting his overflowing passion envelop them both as the repressed love of a decade spilled out. She uses loins a lot. Ugh. Um. So here's the other thing you care about in terms of Patrick Duffy. This is just uh, Rick Emerson's pop culture encyclopedia entry for the day. Patrick Duffy is also notorious because on the TV show Dallas, there's this whole thing, who shot JR, blah, 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 blah. Patrick Duffy left the show at one point. And uh, then, uh, you know, he, I think his character was killed, actually. I think Patrick Duffy's character on Dallas was killed. And then two years later, they announced, hey, Patrick Duffy returns to Dallas. And he's like, well, wait a minute, his character is killed. They saved the head? Uh, his character was killed. How, would you, how did you do that? And there was all of this speculation about, like, how is Patrick Duffy's character going to return to Dallas? His character's dead. Everybody thought, well, is it going to be like a twin? Is it going to be in flashback? And this is like one of the most notorious moments in the history of primetime television. At one point, a girl goes into the bathroom, I think his wife or whatever, and there's Patrick Duffy in the shower. And she's like, hey, but, you know, whatever. And it turns out that the entire two seasons before that, just a dream. The entire previous two seasons, a dream. And it was like one of the biggest cheats in the history of, like, you were like watching it going, come on, uh, Patrick Duffy. So, wait, why was, why did I care about this? What were you just talking about? Oh, so somebody ought to do this, though. On a show like Arrested Development, like that kind of a show, somebody ought to do a thing where they end the series with the whole thing being a dream that Patrick Duffy had. Somebody needs to do that. Needs to be a dream that Patrick Duffy had because me and everybody else be like, that's so cool. It's so meta. All right. Meta is have, the new black. Do you have a VCR? Uh, yes, I do. If I brought you Daddy, would you watch it? No. It's hilarious. It has Ben Affleck as one of his kids. Oh, that's a big selling point. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be snarky. Just Did there. he wake up from a dream? Probably Jenny not. Jenny Lewis from uh, Rilo Kiley. And it's weird because you can see the sexual tension between Jenny Lewis and Ben Affleck the entire time. Like they're flirting, but they're supposed to be brother or sister. Not unlike on Dexter. Yeah, they're living together now. Yes, they are. Um, I, I probably wouldn't watch it. I uh, I don't want to lie to you, Sarah. I respect you too much for that. Here's Tim Riley. Texas authorities busy trying to clean up after Hurricane Ike. Have a new problem on their hands. There's a tiger on the loose. Uh, somehow, it escaped its enclosure at Exotic Pet Center of Texas. Animal experts are trying to catch the tiger. Uh, the Galveston County Judge Jim Yarbrough put it this way. Turns out there's a tiger, and I understand he's hungry, so we're staying away from him. The news follows reports of a lion holding up in a Baptist church, as well as livestock and other animals roaming around amid uh, Hurricane Ike's wreckage. Seeking so sanctuary. Uh, part of Texas is ruined, but we really don't care about that part of the country. They're on their own. An 11-year-old girl was sentenced to one-year probation after being accused of spitting on a teacher and then punching a sheriff's deputy in the face. Uh, the student, Thalia Garcia, was uh, shocked when the deputy's stun gun uh, apparently touched her. She's then charged with battery and a law enforcement Oh, I thought you meant she was shocked, like, sort of emote, like, figuratively. No, she was shocked. Oh, okay. Uh, the 11-year-old is also supposed to continue counseling and write a letter of apology to the deputy. They also have to pay $2,000 in court costs. Uh, the family attorney said he plans a civil suit on the sheriff's deputy and not chuck the child with a taser gun, but that happens all the time. Let's, uh, I, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program, sir, madam, as the case may be. Hey, what's going on? What's up, sir? I just saw a freaking coyote in, in the coop. Really? In broad daylight, by I-5. Now, dumb question, how did you know it was a coyote? Well, I mean, can you, do you know, can you tell? what a coyote looks like. Well, 
Okay, there's no need to be snarky, sir. I'm just saying, can you spot? I mean, in other words, it if I an ugly dog, I don't know that I, I would. I asked him. I said, "Are you a coyote or are you a dog?" Did he, he introduce himself? Is... Did he introduce himself as being a super genius? He was wily. Okay, uh, I'm just saying, I don't know that I would know what one looked like. I might think it was perhaps a wolf. I don't know the difference. Uh, no, big so... ears. Where was it? Um, right by I-5, where. Let's see, 179th Street, where I-5 has an on-ramp. Now, is that a common thing? Like, do you see coyotes in that part of the uh, city? No, I'm freaking. It's that... because not only that, because it's daylight, too. So I'm pretty tripped out by the whole thing. Well, you know, we have... go ahead. If you have any any unwanted kittens, you should probably bring them by. <laughs> um, uh, we had that story earlier about cougars that are apparently stalking hunters now because they're losing their fear of humans. So maybe there's been some secret signal sent out, and this is the day the animals rise against us. Cougar. Now, are you talking about Palin? No. Now, see, I wasn't going to make that joke, but I'm glad you did. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, there's a cougar at I-5 and 179th in Vancouver. Watch out. All right. Thank you, my friend. Watch out for coyotes. All right. I think it was just a really big dog. Well, I wouldn't know. I mean, that's the thing. I, I, I would have it. no way to tell. Uh, you know, and especially because, like, there's so many, like, weird hybrids and crawl. Like, you, you know, what's this? Well, he's half wolf, half, you know, like, whatever, Shih Tzu or something. And, like, you just, you know, you have no idea of, you know, you don't know what's a wolf and what's not. All right, let's do a few more here, and then we're going to do the top five here. Really? Remember? we, we That's our thing. Oh, yeah. We're turning over. It's, it's not the same Mall 205, Sarah. We're going to do the top five right here. It's kind of confusing. It makes it 2 o'clock hour feel just I know. It feels weird. It well, we don't have to. No, I, I want to. Sarah? Oh, boy. It's up to I mean, really, I don't have to. Because here's, let me just tell you, here's how the rest of the day What happens out. if we don't? Let me pull back the curtain. Here's well, I kind of like the way we did it yesterday. Like, Tim does a few stories and then do it um, after him. When? At 1.30? Yeah. Well, see, we've got Mr. Skin, then Peter Carlin. Oh, that's true. And between then... 1.30 and 2, Roddy then Roddy Roddy Piper at 2. I can see the delay. Well, I'm versatile. I mean, we could, we could try to do it after Roddy Roddy Piper. No, I think we you should. Could. Let's, let's do it now. You well, sure? After, after Tim finishes the story. Oh, what are we doing? It's chaos. I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's do some more stories, and All then right. we'll figure <laughs> it out. Barack Obama says John McCain's economic advisors are acting in a very childish manner. Let me be clear. The American economy does not stand still, and neither should the rules that govern it. Then, Dow Jones Industrials plummeted about 450 points today as fear gripped the financial markets. Analysts say investors are worried about the big financial institution that may fall next. The huge drop in stock prices followed yesterday's $85 billion bailout of AIG by the federal government. By the way, we should also note that lest anybody think that our ire is solely directed at the Republicans or John McCain, that Barack Obama clip you just played uh -huh. is more of the same gibberish and nonsense. Yes. Eh, it's a bunch, just a bunch of blather that means nothing. Yes. No calories, no actual words in his words. So. It's called running out the clock, yes, and it's an awful long clock to run out. That's exactly it's over what it is. To go. Don't forget, he's going to bring change and hope, though, so we'd much rather have that than jobs and health care. Yes. Jesus. A big rig carrying $200,000 worth of nickels crash, killing one person and scattering a massive load of nickels across I-95 in Florida. Wait, where? Oh, me in your face. It was shiny across the roadway, said Trooper Kim Miller. Uh, apparently some 4 million nickels were spilled on I-5 near Mims. Uh, there are approximately $187,000 worth of nickels that was thrown across the southbound lanes. We're hearing that one of the trucks was a U.S. Treasury truck transporting nickels from Philadelphia down to Miami. So that's how they do it. This guy says he's making that up. Coyotes would not come out during the day unless the coyote was either crazy or really starving. I'm telling you, man. Uh, they, uh, it's, it's... Even coyotes are starving now. <laughs> 
That's the, uh, the, the, the we do we do not necessarily remain the apex predator forever. Nothing is guaranteed. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey. Uh, you had a or you were talking about the Dallas thing yes. uh, where Patrick Duffy was in the shower. I wanted to point out the uh, end of the Family Guy episode that was the Millennium one. Oh, did they where, do a reference to that? Yeah, totally. The episode ends where the whole thing was a flashback of Patrick Duffy in the shower. That's pretty great. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, on this show, Family Guy did it. It's sort of like on South Park, The Simpsons did it. So Totally. Yeah. They've taken care of all of it. All right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. 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 I saw a... A um, coyote just last week on Langdon Farms golf course. So wait, three the, weeks so before saw a cougar just outside of Mill City ran in front of my truck, almost ran over it. That's what I'm seeing. Do you see a pattern here? Mm -hmm. This is it. It's so. It, this is how it begins. All right, That's we need problem. to fortify this place and get some guns. Problem. They took away it being able to hunt cougars with dogs. So like humans aren't smart enough to catch a cougar without a dog. So now there's, like, overpopulation of cougars. Well, that sounds like a human... Why can't the dogs be armed? That's... I was just going to say that... You know what? That sounds like a human's problem to me. That doesn't well, sound... it is. Yeah, so, I mean, you know... Uh, I Here's the thing. People who... There's, again, I don't have any... You know, whatever. Hunt, don't hunt. I don't care. And, uh, you know, and I certainly understand that, as, as Ted Nugent says, you got to kill it before you can grill it. But, you know, but the guys that... You know, these guys that get out there like, I'm going to go hunting because i got to embrace my primal nature or whatever... All right, well, you know what, this is this is how primal man used to do it. So uh, just go out there and, you know, go out and find it yourself and uh, take it down by your own self, Bucky. Well, yeah, but the, the cougars are smart. And they, they hide from you, and you never find one when you're human man. You know, that's why it's called hunting, sir. That's why it's not called going to the store to buy some meat. Well, I know. You're missing you know, the big picture. Here's the thing. If they hide from you and you have to find them, that's what the word hunt means. It's like an Easter right. egg hunt, but with cougars. Oh, but see, specialized animal kills little kids in neighborhoods. Yeah, well, let me know yeah, when well, that starts. Kids anyway. I was just gonna say, <laughs> let me know when that starts happening. As long as there's not dingoes taking your baby, that's all I care about. All right, let me stop now and ask this question. Well, there are plenty of kids out there. Well, I see the woman, and I'm a woman, and um, <laughs> I had five children. She has five. Really, do you see a shortage of children, especially in Vancouver? Let's be honest. Let's not let's not lie to ourselves. All right, here's what we got between now and the end of the show. Uh, we got Mr. Skin, more news from Tim, Peter Carlin, Roddy Roddy Piper, and Jim Roop. Sarah Dillon, where do you believe we should do the top five? Would you all like to see the already, Matrix? All of those are already confirmed. Like Would, you've talked to Peter Carlin, he wants, he's coming on today. Have we talked to Peter Carlin? Today? Yeah. He's right. already been on the show. Would you like to see the Matrix? Sure. All right. Here's the Right there, there's the Matrix time and what is uh, theoretically scheduled. Wow, I didn't realize you were so organized. I do that every day. Huh. So Peter Carlin, uh, 145, Mr. Skin, 140, Tim, 130, uh, Rube, 245. I think we have time for the top five right now. Do you want to do it here? Yeah. Tim, do you want to do the top five? Oh, sure. Let's do the top five. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. This is embarrassing. <laughs> I want that. Known. That's why I don't want to pass this because you're having like a moral Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to I am horrified by this list. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? All right. So, a little bit of backstory. 
So we had a really great top five yesterday. And I forget, I don't even know why this occurred to me. It was just one of those things that I got in my head that we should do. I couldn't quite, I can't remember why. But so Sarah Dillon, God love her, put together her top five lovelorn teenage angst songs. In other words, and I came in to clarify this today because I couldn't quite remember how we did it. In other words, eh, these are the top five songs that you would sort of eh, you know, listen to while moping around in your bedroom, pining away for... You know, some lost love, or, you know, or or probably more likely, somebody who really didn't even know you existed. You know, some guy, some girl, some some dude, some chick, you would pass in the hallway, and they would walk by, and you'd look and go, sigh. And then you would just go home and, you know, sit there and be filled with self-loathing and depression while listening to Chardet, or, you know, Never Need a Parker thing, or Expose. Speaking of which, i got to write down that. we got to find that country version of I'll Never Get Over You. Um, anyway, so it's only fair... Oh, and Aaron's going to do the same list on Friday, by the way. Aaron will do his top five of this. Yeah, but it's only fair that I do mine. Uh, Tim Riley, take it away. And what? And following in the footsteps of Sarah Dillon's brilliant, compelling top five from yesterday's program. It's true. We plunge still further into the world of adolescent depression. With these, Rick Emerson's top five lovelorn teenage angst songs. These are embarrassing, by the way. Some of them, but I couldn't lie. I didn't want to filter myself. I had to be forthright. With honorable mention going to Garth Brooks and the dance. Uh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh by my this. god, you I should be embarrassed. Shut I don't up! Know what this is and Shut up! Feel... Oh, I couldn't stand <laughs> that. Bastards! Either. Here's Garth Brooks with the dance. Wow, look at that! Poet hitter. Yes. Oh. Yes, I sat around oh listening god. to this Garth Brooks song being depressed as a teenager. When did this come out, Tim? 89? No, no, this is 90? early 90s, yeah. So I would have been like 17. I, would, I was in high school, though. Oh. For a moment, Sarah, all the world was right. Oh, God. How could I have known that you'd ever say goodbye? Yeah. And that. Picture that. And, of course, this was, like, in my big mullet, like, metal phase, too. And then I would secretly go home and sit there alone in the room, like, 17 years old, like, listening to Garth Brooks being like, Why doesn't she love me? I'm so horrified by this. I could have missed the pain. I want some points for honesty. I want some... Yes, you, you've received multiple points for honesty. I have points for not omitting this, because I easily could have, you know, I, I easily could have put some power ballad in this space. All right, I, I can't listen to this anymore. These are the top five Rick Emerson lovelorn teenage angst songs. Number five, Sinead O'Connor. Nothing compares to you. Yes! Still a great song. Still a great video. Boy, she was beautiful. She still is. But I mean, this video, she's exceptionally beautiful. This song just makes you want to kill yourself. Even now, I mean, a relatively well-balanced adult that makes you want to hang yourself. This whole album is fantastic. There's a song on this record called The Last Day of Our Acquaintance. About a divorce, her divorce. It's like the song that they find playing in your apartment when they're scraping your brains off the wall. Oh, God. Seriously. Uh, there's me sitting in my Kennewick bedroom. Door shut. Blinds down. Getting my mope on. Doesn't she see what a... Doesn't she see what a prize I am? 
song holds up is because it's so spare. It really is just that one, that little keyboard line and that drum machine. That's it. And I will say, this is way better than the Prince version. Uh, the purists will be like, no, the Prince version, is. this is really the definitive version of this. Boy, this is depressing. hours this played in the bedrooms of like a society as a whole. Yeah. How many man hours were spent listening to this? Alright. These are the top five Rick Emerson Lovelorn Teenage Angst songs. Number four, The Cure, Pictures of You. Yay! I was gonna we're going to do Love Song, but it's already it. It was actually always going to be this, and I almost left it off because we did The Cure yesterday, but again, got to be uh, forthright about these things. Just sitting there, looking at a phone that never rang. Maybe she'll call later tonight. And then, you know, knowing in the back of your brain, she's not going to call later tonight. She's out humping some guy from the football team in the back of a car. Have fun with that. And there was, especially in the 80s, there was all of this sort of discussion about music that drove kids to commit suicide and, you know, music that drove young people to the edge of whatever. You know, took their own lives, prodded on by, prodded on by music. But really... I mean, if we're really going to be honest about this, this really is the music that keeps you from killing yourself. Because, and I think everybody knows, this is you know a little bit of a, you know, everybody kind of went through this period where you're sitting there. And one of the great things about the teenage mind is that, A, you kind of feel everything, for better or worse, much more strongly than I think you do at a lot of other points in your life. But also, when you are a teenager and you're listening to this, you're not thinking, you know, Robert Smith is some, like, rich British rock star who lives, like, in a castle, you know, that's, like, the size of, like, my whole town. You're thinking... Robert Smith, he's going through what I'm going through. I mean, he's really, he understands. Like me. He, uh, I think, you know, he, he really, it's like he's speaking this to me. He he knows, you know, kind of what it's like to, to be me right now. And uh, he and I are going through this together. And really, that is a valuable service provided by music. And that does get, that does get you through the night, my friends. Uh, these are the top five Rick Emerson teenage angst-ridden, lovelorn moping songs of all time. Tim Riley. Number three, The Beatles with Yesterday. Oh, I love this song. Yesterday, yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. And then again, another song that holds up because it's so spare in the arrangement. There's guitars, a little bit of strings later on, but that's it. No drums, no bass. Yesterday, suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me Oh, yesterday I had this Beatles compilation And it was like they strung all the like bad, sad love songs in a row Like this, and like, we can work it out And, yeah, just What was that, uh What was that, what's that, what's that Beatles song that A love that should have lasted years Whatever that song is And then Eleanor Rigby, which isn't about love, but it's just creepy that's a song that makes you want to shoot yourself. Jesus. Love was such an easy game to play. I need a place to All right. These are uh, Rick Emerson's top five, top five lovelorn teenage angst songs to which I moped. I think a good one's coming up. You look uncomfortable. Now, they're, they're all good and bad, I suppose. Tim Riley? Number two, Black Sabbath, Changes. 
This is the saddest song ever written. Maybe not, but boy, goddamn, is this a downer of a song. Like, it's not like really advanced lyricism or anything, but... Because it's Black Sabbath, even though it's a song about lost love, it has the, uh, but they can't do anything that's not also creepy sounding. So there's this weird sound like they're singing it inside of, like, the Castle Mordor or something. Sounds like they play it on the PA system in a mental hospital. That's what, <laughs> totally. You see that, and the strings have that weird, like, they're real, they're real reedy sounding, like the strings have that real, they're very trebly. There's something creepy about the way those strings are produced. It really is like they're floating across Loch Ness to you or something. Jesus. Yeah, so just picture, you know, every, like, metal dude putting on Sabbath Volume 4 and just sitting there and just going, uh-huh. That's right, Ozzy. That's exactly how it was. You said it, brother. I'm glad you understand me, Ozzy. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Rick Emerson's top five lovelorn teenage angst songs. Number one, Cinderella. Don't know what you've got till it's gone. That's right. I cannot even imagine how many hours I spent in my room listening to the Long Cold Winter album. And this song especially. Song keeper. story I told about um, calling the pharmacy to get my sleeping pills refilled and I had White Rabbit playing in the background? Um, yeah, you were gone, I think. But uh, I do remember at least one moment when I was at home and a girl actually called me at home and like this, this song was just blaring in the background and she actually commented on it at one point because I think it had it on repeat or something. Are you just listening to Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone over and over again? Uh, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> Just get to the chorus, and we'll take a break. A thousand dudes crying in a manly way and holding up lighters. Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Peter Carlin for the Oregonian later on. Rowdy, Rowdy, Piper, stay there.
is the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for coming along. Thank you for coming along. Uh, Richie Bristol, let's obtain Mr. Skin. Can we do that? That would be, uh, that'll be fantastic. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to look apprehensive just there. The, uh... No, I mean, I think you, you misunderstand me first, because they don't really throw in a lot of useless profanity. Here's the only reason I, here's the only reason I don't necessarily share that assessment, is that... Have they screwed you before? <laughs> they have screwed me before, because speaking of Garth Brooks, they do a, a cover of Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old, except they don't say damn. Uh, it's, it's another, it's another type of old. It's not another damn. four-letter word? It's another four-letter word. <laughs> yeah, and he just, and they're doing this intro where they're like, you know, they're... It's not all sweet. And they're doing, you know, this old highway's getting longer, you know, and, and, and then he just screams... This effing old! And I'm like, wow! Are like you kidding me? Uh, when you sing Totally Clips of the Heart in um, Jesus. Old School? No, I've never seen that. Oh, you'd love that part. I got it at home. Never watched it. Yeah, the, the guy who's the wedding singer singing all of a sudden. He's like, I effing need that! <laughs> and it's just rife with profanity. You don't see it coming. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from MrSkin.com. Mr. Skin, uh, the online celebrity nudity database and keeper of the boobs. Hello, sir. How are you? <laughs> That is, that's what it says in my business card. Seriously. That's going to be when, when alien civilizations come and they, uh, you know, they excavate Earth for archaeological purposes, they will say, and this man, this Mr. Skin, was keeper of the bosoms. Yes. Right. What is up in the world of nudity, my friend? Well, we have a big list at MrSkin.com this week. With the, with the new fall TV season out uh, and in full swing, uh, we did our 50 sexiest TV shows of all time. I looked at... Uh, network television, we looked at pay cable, we looked at basic cable, and, and looked at everything in the history of television and made a top 50 list, which I thought I'd share maybe the top five with you uh, today. And uh, any one of your, any of your listeners could go to MrSkin.com, see the full list. We have video clips and pics of it all for Absolutely. free. But let me give you the top five. My five sections say, and uh, the boys uh, uh, on Entourage um, always hooking up with some incredibly, incredibly hot uh, babes, uh, uh, Entourage is number five on the list. Uh, number four, I know you would know this show, uh, Rick, is uh, Charlie Angels from uh, Charlie's Angels from 1976 uh, to 81. Everyone knows it. It's the original Jiggle TV, and if you go back and look at the old episodes, it's pretty funny to see girls in silk shirts with no bras on a regular basis and, and plenty of bikini action, too. Charlie's Angels, the fourth sexiest show in the history of television. Um, number three on our list is a show, uh, I guess you call it an L.A. Lesbo-Palooza, The L Word. It's on Showtime. <laughs> and uh, what's great about uh, The L Word is you don't even need the sound on. You just look up at the TV every once in a while and see two incredibly hot babes hooking up. And uh, no new dudes on The L Word, so it's all girls all the time. And Excellent. Very steamy sex. Number two, uh, NYPD Blue on ABC. This was a groundbreaking show in that, it was the first network television show that really tried to get nudity on the air. If you remember in the 90s, you'd see Amy Brenneman or Kim Delaney or Sherry Stringfield uh, slowly getting more and more nude as time went on until it hit a crescendo on February uh, 25, 2003, when Charlotte Ross got completely naked. And if you look at the video clip of that at our site, you'd think it's from an R-rated movie. It's sad that 2003 was uh, the last great moment on network TV nudity. It's kind of way been uh it is just not the same anymore so uh also then uh number one 50 sexiest tv shows of all time 
uh, Baywatch uh, totally. the show, the most watched show in the world. It's uh, There's a reason over a billion people around the world have watched it, and it's not because of David Hasselhoff's acting. It is, uh, so. It's slow motion running on the beach. That is yeah. the key to American success, my yeah, friend. Yeah, you don't even have to slow-mo it because right. they already slow-mo it for you. So uh, Baywatch, the number one uh, of our 50 sexiest shows. You can see the whole list at MrSkin.com. Excellent. All right, my friend. As always, doing the Lord's work. We will talk to you next week, sir. <laughs> see you, Rick. There you go. Fantastic. L.A. Lesbopalooza. You know? I'm glad the people in the stream got to hear what he said at first. Seriously, I, I don't know if that was an intentional slip of the tongue. I, don't know, I thought I thought maybe it was intentional at first, but then yeah, maybe that's not. not a thing you can say. Uh, we're going to talk to Peter Carlin here in just a moment. Let's go to the Ministry of Truth for headlines with Tim Riley. And now, now. from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Anybody want to buy a Washington Mutual? It's for sale. The government quietly making a few phone calls. Anybody want to buy Washington Mutual? Well, it's been in trouble for quite some time, and so far it's still open as far as we know. An Atlanta 911 dispatcher has been disciplined for not putting out a lookout for a tanker driver who allegedly tried to run over a woman. The obviously distressed motorist, Anna Johnson, uh, told the investigating unit of a local television station she's Disappointed by the way she was treated by the 911 dispatcher. Oh my God! What's wrong, ma'am? Sounds like a wildcat. Frustrated over her lack of response, Anna Johnson asked the operator's ID. Do you want me to send you a police officer, ma'am, or do you want me to just do a lookout on the car? On the truck? It's up to you. Do you have an ID, miss? Ma'am. Yes, I'm saying, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to send an officer to you, or do you want me to do a lookout for you? The dispatcher did not understand the gravity of the situation. Her response was, well, what is he doing now? And what is he doing now? And where are you? And so this is, wait, so what is happening? Well, Atlanta. But, I mean, what is, what is He ha- tried to run over a woman. So there's a guy trying to run over On a woman. highway. And the operator's a whole lot of, I need you to calm down. Speak more slowly. Mm-hmm. Jesus, that's frustrating. Yeah. Right. Just one of those things. Well, uh, a baggy britches ban is unconstitutional, says a New York judge in Florida. It is unconstitutional to ban baggy pants. And show off a wearer's underwear. Where's that photo? Yeah, thank you. Bam, that's right. That's right. 17-year-old uh-huh. spent a night in jail after police arrested him for wearing low pants. The law banning so-called saggy pants was approved by city voters in March after supporters of the bill collected 5,000 signatures. The teenager would have received a $150 fine of community service, but he spent the night in jail due to a history of marijuana use. Somebody help me, said the Florida judge before giving his decision. We're not talking about exposure of buttocks. No. We're talking about a person who has on pants whose underwear is apparently visible to a police officer who then makes an arrest. And that basis alone is, well, the prisoner is held overnight. Your Honor, we now have the fashion police, added public defender Carol Bickenstaff, who asked the law be declared unconstitutional. The judge agreed, and so it's unconstitutional. Let your britches sag down. Nobody cares anymore, especially... <laughs> Especially in Florida. That's um, hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson radio program. What's up? Uh, chicken in my mouth. 
hey, I was calling about you know, the pussification of yourself. Wait, let's back up for just a second. There's a chicken in your mouth? Well, I was on hold for so long, I had to eat something. Oh, I see. You had to find protein to sustain yourself while yeah. waiting on hold. All right. I just wanted to say I love the fact that you try to depussify yourself on that list that you made, the top five. Yes. By adding the Black Sabbath, that was brilliant. Well, I used to – let's not have any illusions about this. Um, in fact, Sarah Dillon was watching this great movie last night, Decline of Western Civilization Part Two. And there's one of these great moments where they ask the guys, hey, do you do drugs? And everybody, of course, lies and says no. But this one guy says, well, you know, like the drug to me is like um, like Sabbath Volume 4. Like that's my drug. And actually that's the album that that song comes from, is Sabbath Volume 4, uh, which I have an 8-track, by the way. So I used to sit around and listen to that. But, yeah, there's no getting around the fact that there was a lot of me just sitting there listening to that Garth Brooks song and weeping like a woman. There's just there's no getting around that, uh, that fact, sir. You have to please, for all your listeners, uh, Post one of your high school photos of yourself. Have you done that already? Uh, I don't know. I think the only photo that I posted of myself, not that I'm averse to doing so, um, it, A, there's that one of me dressed as Paul Stanley that we put up. It doesn't really can't really see me. I'm dressed as Paul Stanley. Uh, it, the only reason is, you know, I just don't have a lot of that stuff. And, I mean, look, I, clearly I have no shame. If I had those photos around, I would probably post them. But I just never, I didn't, I just didn't keep a lot of that stuff. And my mom might have it in Kennewick. I mean, I can check. But I just don't, like in a lot of guys, I keep all my stuff in a high school scrapbook, and I just didn't keep any of it. So I can look into it, though, sir, if I can find your, something. Your in... mom, yeah, your mom's got to have something like that. Your little pimple-faced Iron Maiden shirt or whatever the heck. With Led Zeppelin, sir, sir let's, keep it, let's keep it real here. All right. Yeah, that would be brilliant. I'll, I'll look and, into it. Yes? The, the, the entertainment of the day that I had was me telling Richie what my call was about and hearing him say, have you typed out, he spoke out loud, the post. Fanaticism <laughs> does come in handy. All right. That dude's still go. wearing his Let's Up One shirt. Thank you. All right. One more, then one headline, then Peter Carlin. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I'm the uh, WKRP thing yes, where they don't play the licensed music. Yeah. I, I've been uh, I've been TiVoing that every episode, every they play two back to back on Sundays on WGN. I've been TiVoing them. Excellent. They played one last night where uh, it was the one where uh, um, Johnny suggest everybody dump their garbage on the uh, city hall steps yeah right yeah well at the end of it he spins a record to get back onto the onto the air and it's a he introduces the record as fly on the family stone album uh song but the song starts playing and it's not it it was really disconcerting to hear that that's why that show took so long to come out on dvd and even now on dvd it doesn't have most of the original because the licensing for that music was so expensive it's still really most of those episodes probably will never come out. That's why the Freaks and Geeks set was like a hundred bucks because they wanted to pay the extra money to license the music. There's a great terrible moment in when uh, he he's uh, Johnny Fever's in the booth and he goes, "I can take Jimi Hendrix anytime," and he spins the record to start it, and it's like some weird synth pop crap. So I can't wait until that episode where they uh, they did a whole episode on that. On the uh, the Who concert, totally. where the fans got trampled. Yeah. I can't wait to see how they deal with that with no licensed music with that one. That'll be fun. All right. Thank you, my friend. Oh, and the Roddy Piper's coming in. Yeah. If he walks in with a coconut, cover your head. Thank you. <laughs> Bye now. And that's the worst thing about Life Goes On when I bought that um, series is they didn't license any of the music. Yeah. So even the theme song is different. It's not even the original theme. It just really throws off oh. the whole show. It's ass is what it is, Sarah. Uh, you're listening to KCMD Portland. Woo. Uh, so, uh, we are going to be speaking to Peter Carlin, uh, because, uh, through no, it's all my fault. I was going to no fault of my own. Through all the fault of my own, uh, we're running a little bit behind. Uh, so Tim, 
Yes. Uh, we shall return at the bottom of the hour. More news, headlines. I certainly will, yes. Uh, amusing anecdotes for the people. All right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Oregonian TV critic, curmudgeon, lovable raconteur, Peter Carlin. Hello, sir. Hey, man. Hey, I was going to try to find, wait, where's that soundbite with which I'm going to... I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. There we go. Uh, how's life, brother? How are things? I'm fine, thanks. Are you really? Would you like to hear what one of Sarah Palin's supporters said earlier today? Sure. Uh, we are not making this up. Pardon me, uh, idiot on the street. Why are you supporting Sarah Palin? I see the woman, and I'm a woman, and, um, I had five children. She has five. There you go. Wait, what was that last part? Uh, I have five children. She has five children. Well, there it is. There you go, sir. All right. Um, and so forth. All right. How, how are things going on the uh, Peter Carlin front? Is life satisfying in every way? Um, I suppose so. All right. Well, I mean, what can I say? It was, uh, it's any week in which, uh, David Foster Wallace commits suicide is not a good week. No, it's like a thousand page book that I don't think anybody has actually read. I read it. It's terrific. Now, see, of course you've read it. Though. Well, it's You're... hysterically funny. You just have to give it a try. Did you even crack it open? No, no, I didn't. It's, it's sitting there next to Finnegan's Wake and Atlas Shrugged. I just have it there so I can point at it. No, 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 no. That's one you should read. It's right. very, very funny. Well, I went, when I was reading it, uh, Years ago, I was at one point flying on an airplane and was laughing so hard at one bit. This woman sitting next to me, who I'd never, who I hadn't even traded a word with, asked me if I was okay. I think she thought I was crying because of because of the book and because of its uh, because of its profound impact on your comedic sensibilities. Yeah, that was it. All right, I just yeah, no, I just uh, he's one of those guys that I sort of see referenced, and I guess it's on the list of things I ought to read at some point. And anyway, uh, a couple of things. So, um, Mad Men. They, I meant to ask you this um, last week. So that woman in the flashback when Don Draper is selling used cars and that woman comes to you goes, you're not Don Draper. Yes. So do we assume that that is the wife of the real Don Draper? Not the wife. I think if it was the wife. Oh, she would know, I guess. She would like, no, yes, hello. <laughs> said, okay, fair enough. So it was just some, it was a person that he knew, a friend or a you know, or something. So maybe her identity isn't like the big mystery. It's just one more in like the unraveling thread that is the sweater that is Don Draper. Well, I believe it is a mystery because we don't know who she is, but she seems to be important. All right. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> let's see. What else? What else? We've got the just a whole bunch of things happen. So this last episode of of uh, Mad Men with that, that nutcase wife of his who uh, it, really it, it does it does at times become very difficult to watch her because you are just waiting for the moment when she just completely freaks out and like shaves her head and goes nuts. You know, there's a tr you know, there's just more than a trace amount of misogyny in you. Did you know that? No, it's not. That's been pointed out to you on the air. No, before. I mean everybody talks about how Don Draper is a creep, which he obviously is. Yeah, uh, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about Don Draper right now. I'm talking about Rick Emerson. Really? The person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The supposedly lovable closet case, yes. or whatever it is that you are. The supposedly lovable closet case. Yeah. I'll put hey, that on my business that. card. Play that again, jackass. I'll put this oh, on my... Oh, that was a good one, too. I'm full of quotes. I'm full of uh, full of loops for you today. Right. An area man wants to know, what is up with you today, Peter Carlin? <laughs> Have I called... Uh, was there some sort of couch sleeping last night that I wasn't privy to? No, it's just you. You're projecting because you're just distracted because I can see Rowdy, uh, Rowdy Piper out in the hallway. All right. He just called me a closeted jackass. Oh, well, you were out of the you. you were out of the room for that topic. <laughs> he only hits me because he loves me. Yeah, right. it's true, All and right. it's entertaining for the folks at home. All right. No, I was just going to say, I you know, I don't, I guess I, I just don't understand your your um, antipathy toward uh, toward uh, toward Mrs. Draper, who I know is 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 in many ways a very sort of um, uh, a, a very quirky and difficult type yeah. of character, but she's. 
living i mean i think she has kind of been made to be at war with herself because there's far more going on than society allows her to display or allows you know and more certainly than the authority that she's allowed to have over her over herself and and her you know her part of the world and she is slowly but surely reacting to that. Yeah, and I you suppose. read that as as harpiness or something. And, and and I just you know I'm just not down. You're not, not with it. You're man. not. You can't get behind that, as the young people say. I, I'm not feeling no. that. Well, I apologize. All right. Uh, and I and I further apologize for the fact that uh, regrettably we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to draw things to a close. I'm so sorry. Once I call you a closeted. Jack, it's not because you called me. The segment. It's it, that is merely coincidental. That was a, that was a concurrent event. It is not because you called me a closeted jackass. Although, although I am going to take that. and I'm going to put that in the front door of my office. Rick Emerson, midday host, closeted jackass. So, <laughs> all right. Well, my apologies, my friend. We'll make up for it next week, so you have a time to think of more hateful and spiteful things to hurl in my direction. Me, a man who only welcomes you to the show with open arms. Yeah, and, and embarrassing sound bites. That's... You don't think I'm not secretly holding all that stuff against you? I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. See, there it is. Thank you, Peter Carlin. <laughs> all right, my man. All have right, a good thank week. you. There you go, Peter Carlin, ladies and gentlemen. We need to wow. find that hitting it against the desk. Jesus. It's like he, yeah, you ducked out of the room for that. Uh, he just like came out of the gate. No, I like, think you could tell that you were distracted. Maybe I was uh, distracted Peter, by a thing. Probably requires full attention. Yeah, he really does. I mean, if you look away for even a moment, he just uh, causes him almost physical pain. All right, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program on KCMD Portland. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. So, uh, and because this show is all about being upfront and honest and forthright and whatever. So I do have to say this, that I was actually, uh, I had dinner with a friend of mine last night, my friend Chris, who is a huge uh, wrestling fan. And I actually, we had some stuff to discuss, but I also used it, it as an opportunity to sort of burn off all of like the gibbering fanboy nonsense that undoubtedly would have just come pouring out of my mouth today if I hadn't done it. So it is a, a real pleasure uh, to welcome to the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, we actually got the two very special guests in the studio with us. First off, uh, the iconic, the legendary, the one and only Rowdy Roddy Piper. Hello, sir. Thank you very much. How are you? <laughs> That's really kind. Um, this is, uh, you will not remember this because you're a busy guy, but uh, some years back, you and I had a brief uh, interview. I was doing a different radio show. We talked for a couple minutes, and we had sort of laid plans uh, for you to come I- into the studio, and then I think they fired me like a week later. So. <laughs> and it's not like you I- too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that you know what? That's a secret to success. Yeah, it wasn't like I could really call up and go. So, could you just come by my house, maybe, or something? So, uh, so this is like we're finally. I'm well, getting this checked off the list of things to do well, in my I'm, life. Thank you for having me, and I'll try to help you come out of the closet or whatever that guy's talking about. I don't know what the problems were, but you know, get another job. Well, that was, <laughs> you won't have so much time to think about it. I, uh, that's uh, that is Peter Carlin. He's the Oregonian TV critic, and he. Uh, okay, never mind. You've seen my last movie, have you? Yeah. <laughs> He has unresolved rage issues toward me, I so see. we don't. Uh, yeah. uh, and also joining us in the studio, uh, your son. Is it Colt or Colton? I apologize. Uh, Colt. Colt. Yeah. Uh, and Colt, who. And we got all kinds of stuff to talk about. First off, so Colt, you are going to be fighting Sport Fight uh, in Sport Fight 24 Domination, which is happening this coming Friday, 7:30 at the Rose Garden. Uh, Rose Garden. Of course, you can get tickets at ComcastTix.com uh, or all participating Safeway Tickets West. Uh, outlets and in fact uh, there's a guy I know here in Portland, a guy named David Walker, who's a film critic and does a lot of journalism. And I was actually reading his blog last night, and he was talking about how he had gone to see Sport Fight. I, I think it might have been the last event, yeah. and uh, where you had to come out and just uh, just clean some guy's clock, it just schooled some guy and just bloodied him and sent him away to his mother. <laughs> and and he was re- and then some other guy came out and lost in like 22 seconds. 
Uh, and so he was writing his big piece about, you know, how the, the yin and the yang and, you know, how you, you know, it really does. I mean, it's a, it's a weird way to make a living, right, where you're coming out and you're walking into a ring. And to whatever the degree that it's maybe planned out or spontaneous, depending on the sport, that's a weird way to make a living. You're going to walk into a squared circle and a guy's going to be beaten on your face for, you know, however long. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a weird way. It's a lot of fun, though, you know. What he's asking you <laughs> is, why are you doing this, son? <laughs> I All right? Can't stay away from it. It's a sport I love to do. Uh, I enjoy it a lot. You know, I'd rather be doing that than sitting in a cubicle all day, so. Good for you, sir. That's, that's the same reason, as I said earlier in the day. Every day that I'm here is a day that I'm not hauling buckets full of concrete somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Um, all right. Well, so we'll just kind of take this in, in no particular order. First of all, I have to say this. So should I call you Rowdy, Mr. Rowdy, Mr. Piper? <laughs> you can't call me Rod. Rod. All right. I bet you. I'm, la- I'm missing the 80s hot rod shirt uh, that I used to have. <laughs> but, you know, who you knows? know how I got that name? I have no idea. I got six kids. All right. Well, yeah. there you go. <laughs> Four children, two goats. <laughs> I, it is, I had never even really put this together in my head, but um, watching wrestling is growing up, is just, and I was a huge fan, and it was just... Made, I think, an impact on me, and I didn't really realize exactly how big the impact was until later on. You know, of course, I end up here in the radio uh, doing a talk show, and then I look back, and you, you will have to... This is just like when an artist comes to your town to play a show, and they go like, Portland, you're the best crowd we've ever had, and you go like, he's lying. You will just have to take my word when I say that there was no competition. You were, the, you were, you were it, man. You were the bee's knees to me. Yeah, that's really kind of you. But, you, you know, you grew up... Well, in spite of me. Yeah. You well, because you got to admit, you know, a lot of, there was one time in Portland that I used to try to get, keep contemporary. So, you know, the Rose Parade every year yeah. comes out, right? So this one time I'm just fresh in town and I just got to tell you this. So I'm playing my bagpipes is what I'm going to do. I came fifth in the world playing bagpipes. So I get up in the ring there. It's the first time there's Don Owens, you know, and I play the bagpipes worse than Jack Benny. I play them as bad as I could. And finally, these folks start booing. Yes! I got him, right? And all of a sudden, I'm playing, and Don Owens takes the microphone, and he, wait, 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 stop, stop. He makes me stop the bagpipes. He says, everybody be quiet now. I can't play the bagpipes, and neither can you, so let's give him another chance. You know, it's things like that that make you appreciate being a radio broadcaster. And... <laughs> And this, by the way, the last 30 seconds there is just a small encapsulation of the persona that I think made such an impact on me. Because you, you, you know, in a lot of wrestlers, you know, they're the heel or they're the guy you love to hate. But, I mean, you, by dint of having, you know, it was a talk show, right? It was Piper's Pit. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a talk show, but at the end, everybody got a chair across the bridge of the nose and got thrown <laughs> onto a coffee table or whatever. How did you, in a, and we'll kind of go back to the beginning and maybe work our way forward in this segment. How did you arrive at that persona? When did you sort of look in the mirror and go, this is the thing I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. You know, it was an accident. Just but make it easy. Because I came fifth in the world playing the bagpipes, my pipe band played me in. And then I got beaten 10 seconds. And then they threw me in a van with six other wrestlers. You know, two of them all hairy. You right. know, uh, including the two ladies. <laughs> and uh, boom, I was gone. And... I never thought about it. I'm not a, like a, I never made up a character. I I, uh, I have a, unfortunately I had a very mean streak in me that could be brought out uh, that was also conflicted with a marshmallow streak. So you know, Sybil Piper was just rolling around waiting for some place to crash, and you know, all of a sudden there was a world with no laws, no judgment. No, nothing. And all I didn't need nothing. I just needed a pair of trunks and a set of boots. And I was getting paid 15 bucks a night. I can remember saying, 
I made $300 one week. And I said, if I could just make $300 a week, I'd never want another thing. You and you, did you have any? Three million. I'm begging. I'm almost broke. Because <laughs> you were, you were, you saw the whole rise of the wrestling empire. I mean, you were there. Somebody told me that when you were coming up, and I don't know if this is true or not. Somebody told me in the early days you wrestled a bear, like an actual <laughs> bear. Yeah, that stupid story, Victor. <laughs> I mean, how is it that you find yourself wrestling a bear? Is well, that your idea? Okay. Did somebody go look? We. You know, uh, who needs to wrestle you know, a bear? People find this story funny. I never did. But if you'd like me to tell it, I'll tell it. You know, I just, you know. I got you. Just want to know if it's true or not. Oh, uh, you things. think it's pretty funny, oh, yeah. Cole, do you? Oh, it's a good yeah. One. No, it's not a good one. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, he's afraid of the dark, you know. He's a mama's boy. Well, how many people can say their dad wrestled a bear? <laughs> uh, so we're 19 years old, and uh, we just won the light heavyweight championship of the world in the Olympic uh, in Los Angeles. And in those days, you know, I girl on every arm. You know, I had three arms going. And I had a Cadillac, <laughs> leased, <laughs> you know. And I, well, I, I, I walked out of the arena, and the promoter says, Hey, eight fights tomorrow, you're going to wrestle Victor Bad. I don't give a dog gone. I was gone, and boom, the next day, uh, Fresno. And I bopped up the stairs, around the stairs I came, and there in front of me, and I swear to you, a 650-pound Kodiak bear called Victor, and he's on his hind legs, banging back a half a pint of wild turkey, because he wouldn't get into the ring without it. And he dropped that, crashed, and the trainer gave him a coke. I'm telling you, you can look this up on the computer. This is not funny. Right? I'm sorry, I wasn't laughing. No, I noticed that you were. And he chased it with a coke, and boom, and the promoter's mad at me because I'm late, because I'm a star. Um, and so here comes the bear, uh, the bear, Victor. He's down, and he's swaying from side to side. I'm looking at the promoter, and he's looking at me like, yes, I will fire you. If you don't wrestle the bear. So the guy starts telling me the stories, uh, the rules, rather, of wrestling a 650-pound Kodiak bear. And he says, now, Victor's hind teeth have been taken out for your protection, but his back teeth are about an inch and a half long, so don't get your finger back there. You'll bite your finger off. Now, don't pull Victor's fur or punch him in the snout, because if you do those little paws, he'll slap you upside the head and he'll break your neck. So now we got to recap here. i got to... Drunk bear is going to bite my finger off and break my neck. I'm, I'm, and I'm looking at this bear. Obviously, he doesn't know I'm the light heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> and I'm stupid enough to try to be figuring out how to, how to beat this bear. So I'm watching the bear. i got to hurry this up. It's too long. I'm watching the bear, and uh, I get away, and they're trying to get the bear to the ring. And as the trainer comes by, <laughs> uh, he says to me, he says, now, Victor don't like standing on his hind legs unless he's been drinking. Says so, and he had a four-foot stick. He says, so when the bell rings, I'm going to jab him in the bum with his stick, and that ought to bring him up. You get under him. I bet you it will. I bet you it will. So I'm watching, and they're having trouble getting Victor to the ring, possibly too much of the turkey. And as I'm watching this guy, Jay York, you know, I thought was a friend of mine, big, huge, 6'5", bull whip, buck knife, hands like creature of the Black Lagoon, and he's patting me on the bum, you know, and, you know, I'm looking at the bear, you know. Jay, you want to get your hand off my bum? Jay, Jay, go ahead. I go in, ding. Poke, bear up, rod under. Now, you can tell if a guy is wrestling a bear because to beat somebody, you got to pin their shoulders. A bear ain't got no shoulders. <laughs> you don't realize that. And bears are natural wrestlers, and the first thing this bear did was inside arm drag me, and I landed on my tummy. Go back to Jay York. When he's patting me in the bum, 
He put as much honey as he could get oh, in his hand. Oh, God. And he rubbed that honey all over my bottom, my back legs. I was watching Victor. And when that Victor inside arm dragged, I landed my tummy. Victor found the honey. Oh, and God. he went after it. And ah, <laughs> he just had a cocktail. And now the boom in my trunks, there's no more honey. And he's pulling my trunks down. I'm snout pulling, fur punching, <laughs> uh, you know, in all different ADD, dyslexic ways. And finally... Victor, he got my trunks down, you know, deeper in the hive, the more the honey. And Victor, now I got, etc. You know, I got a lot of bear. Baby, we got bear and fur. And finally, they had to, they had this stick they jabbed, jabbed Victor with, which, you know, didn't really make him any happier. But they got me from under him, and when I went out in the ring, my trunks were down to my knees. There I was in my birthday suit. I fell out of the ring. I knocked myself out because I caught my second foot on the, on the second rope, and... I don't know. There's Victor in the ring pulling on a pell mill. That's that stupid Victor story. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I don't even need to be here. I can just leave. No. i got to say hi to my Mason coach, Brian Long, before I forget it. Terry wow. Emerant. Um, wow. We're here talking to the one and only, and you just heard why he's the one and only, Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Stupid story. Man. All right. So, Colt, it, following that, let me ask you a dumb question. How hard is it uh, to, you know, you're out and you're doing Sport Fight 24 this Friday, how big is the shadow uh, that you feel like you, you maybe have to get out from underneath with uh, that kind of storytelling and that kind of legend? Well, it's, uh, they're two different sports. You know, I'm trying to make a name for myself in this sport the same way he did wrestling, you know, looking to do everything there is to do in the sport. Right. It's, uh, it's a little bit of shadow, a little bit of extra pressure put on me, but I'm here. I'm going to rise to the occasion. So. Right. And obviously, sport fight and professional wrestling, or maybe, you know, you call them cousins, something like oh. that. But, uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of big differences, too. You, do you feel like, uh, you know, you, you want to either create a persona, maybe bring a little bit in, or do you feel like you want to go the other way and be like, hey, the persona, maybe that's, that's pro wrestling. Yeah, that was his thing. You know, I'm just going to be all about, you know, punching a guy as hard as I can. Uh, you know, I, I am who I am, and that's what I'm going to show. So, you know. Any persona I give is really who I am. So, so. And, you know, sport fight, and it obviously, it was back when it was, you know, there was ultimate fighting, and now that, you know, the term MMA came out because, you know, there's, you know, sort of different leagues and different, different people having their take on it. And the rise of that sport over the last 10, 15 years has really just been, it's been huge. Oh, yeah. It's been meteoric. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, the, the mixed martial arts thing has really just, it's exploded in a way that is maybe kind of analogous to how professional wrestling exploded. Exactly. And, you, uh, let me ask you this, uh, Rod. So you were there. What was the tipping point, in your opinion, when wrestling went from, you know, because there was the region, and my grandmother lived in Salem, you God know, and she used to go down, you know, she'd see, uh, you know, she'd see the local. Uh, the Salem Theater. Yeah. She, she down there was like a dungeon. That's where my grandmother, where she'd get all liquored up, and she'd go watch wrestling, <laughs> and she would just sit there, and she'd have lucky strikes, and hit him in a frying pan. And she said, my grandmother would go see it uh, here in Oregon, back when you could take stuff from your house, like you could bring in, like a skillet. You know, and set it up in the ring, and some guy brained the guy with a waffle iron or whatever. <laughs> when you look back, what was the tipping point for you when wrestling just exploded and went to just that huge level? What was the moment? Um, there came a time uh, when I was on the East Coast with Flair, and it was still regional, but at that time there was plans. What, uh, what happened was really simple, very quickly. Uh, Shea Stadium did $500,000 
uh, gate, and the South wanted to, it was north against the South, that's with McMahon, the South, Jimmy Crockett. Uh, so they said, well, we'll show you, and they put on the first pay-per-view, and that was a dog collar match. And that's when things really got buzzy, and you got competition, and then all of a sudden in 85, I got Cindy Lauper. She's getting yeah. the female vocals of the year. I'm in the ring, and there's Mr. T. I just knocked him out. There's Muhammad Ali looking at me. Hogan's about to get up, and I just, I've been stabbed three times. And so somebody's just coming under the apron. It's a blonde. I just turned to kick, and it's Cindy Lauper. I, I kick Cindy Lauper. You know, and a girl that just wants to have fun. I kick her. <laughs> the uh, and that I was. I hope it's up her alley. <laughs> <laughs> and there was Cindy Lauper, and that was like the Captain Lou Abano Captain era. Lou. Uh, you know, and no. it just seemed to become. I mean, I mean this in the best possible way. It became the biggest, greatest show on earth because you said it was Muhammad Ali, with Alice Cooper there with Jake the Snake. Geraldine uh, Ferrara. I mean, she was running for vice president. And everybody on earth was there. And, yeah. uh, and we're talking, by the way, with the one and only Rowdy Rowdy Piper. His son, Colt Toombs, is here. He's going to be wrestling, or fighting, rather, I'm yeah. sorry, fighting in Sport Fight 24 uh, this coming Friday, 7.30. Tickets uh, through all TicketWest uh, outlets or ComCastX.com. I actually, and you probably get told a million stories that start with, Rod, I remember when I was nine or whatever, but uh, my family, we, we didn't get the pay-per-view. And that was back before they blocked it. And so you could get the audio, but it was all scrambled. Yeah. And so I remember my brother and I, and it was like it was like old guys sitting there listening to Joe Lewis on the radio in the barbershop. So it was my brother and I it, watching a television on which we could see nothing. It's just it waves, just garbled crap. And so my brother and I sitting there and listening to WrestleMania three, Pontiac Silverdome, 93,000 people. Biggest indoor crowd ever for that still. And just my brother and I losing our minds. I mean, my parents thought we were on crackers. So they thinking, what's going on? You know what I mean? Why? This is Ronnie's going to retire after this. You just me down. And my mom going, there's nothing on the screen. It's just waves. Mom, you don't understand. Um, you know, and just really on inspiration, just to just a showman and just to, just to entertainers. Um, you know, so. Thank you. And then he branched out into so many other things. And by the way, I'll tell you, uh, as as a younger man, I'll tell you the more than once I did in fact rent Hell Comes to Frogtown. No, oh, that was my evil twin brother that Dude, did that. Hell Comes to Frogtown is like one of the that is one of the pillars of B movie video store cinema from my youth. I love you too, man. And the the audience will charge the studio and they will kill me if I do not ask you this question. Uh, How is it that you came to be in one of the greatest movies ever made, which is They Live? How did that happen? You know, WrestleMania 3 that you're talking about, uh, some uh, Pontiac Silver Dome, and there's all these suites around, and Cindy Lauper's manager says, I want you to meet this director. And I said, you know, I'm a little dis busy. Dave Wolf's his name. I'm a little busy. I got to go. I didn't know who the guy was. And I said, yeah, okay. So I came over, I met the gentleman and his wife, boom, I went and wrestled, and they said, you know, uh, would you like to have dinner after? And she yeah, okay, so how you doing? And my name's John Carpenter. Hi, I'm Roddy. And um, just kind of like this, you know, there's a whole bunch of chefs. Somebody sent me some Cristal champagne. I put orange juice in it, you know. <laughs> uh, it's a tough night. And uh, um, John said, you know, pass the butter. Uh, you know, here's the rolls. Uh, you want to star in my next movie? Sure. You got any more of that Cristal left? No more than that. No and, more than that. And, and then that, was... Got, that was it. And, yeah, okay. And then uh, then it got hard. 
then it got hard. And then you had to do that. How long is that fight sequence with Keith David? It's the longest in, uh, film it's like eight minutes or something uh, insane. No, they cut five minutes off it. I really, it's in the Guinness Book of World Records. It just went I forever know. and ever. I know, over a stupid pair of sunglasses. Just put the sunglasses on. <laughs> Keith. And he was a 220-pound dancer. He had like Ernie Shavers. Yeah. Didn't even know. It. He's killing me. He's a, I mean, he's a big guy. And that sequence just goes on and on. How many times a week do you get asked to say the bubblegum thing? Oh, all the they time. They finally got it up now in Universal Studio Tours. Uh -huh. Yeah, so you can hear. Yeah, you get guys coming to the mall. Hey, yeah, it's tell me about bubble gum. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I'll say the bubble gum line. Would, would you? you will you think I'm a tool if I ask you to no, say? No, you know I, You've been so kind, man. Ladies just, and gentlemen, just go for it. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper saying the line you want to hear him say. I have come here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. And I'm all out of bubble gum. That's what I'm talking about. That is what I'm talking about. Bless your heart. Dude, I'm dying a happy man. Mention, there's a couple things i got to mention. Absolutely. If I could. Absolutely. Um, this guy, Steve Quick, uh, the guy that Colt uh, had the honor of being in the ring with, what a game guy. He didn't quit, man. Uh, the referee, he was unbelievable game guy. We hear great things about this uh, Colin Porter. Um, you know, these guys got to be given credit for what, what they're doing. Uh, Terry Emmerich is a big, big supporter, uh, as is Harvey's, uh, Barry Colin. Just got to get all these guys in. There's, uh, some, do uh, Dominion Fight Gear, UFO, our sponsoring cult, and Synovia Energy, uh, which is, I uh, just won an award for help making the world green. You know, um, Brian Long, amazing coach, uh, and other, you know, I told, I said Terry Emmerich, didn't I? Yes. Uh, all right. And the, other than that, Matt Lindlin and this guy, you guys, you need to come and support this. There's been a lot of great fighters come on. North, North, Northwest is the best. And uh, Matt Lindlin, Team Quest, they do an unbelievable job. I just for just you'll get this from a father's son here, because you know I, I can goof around, but you know what? <laughs> I got. It. Um. <clears throat> Um, as I came up in the ranks, I was the youngest pro ever in the world, 15. And um, I fought so I could have a family. And I got phew, my wife, Kitty, and, and my girls, and uh, Colt. Uh, they saved my life. And so uh, I'll back Colt. Uh, obviously, like any dad, I'll take a bullet for him. But like, it's really important that he's already a better man than I ever will be. This kid here has already been a graduate from the Hillsborough Police Academy. He's done his high school. He's he's trained six hours a day, Monday through Friday. He's got a heart. He comes home. His little sister, Fallon Danica, he kisses her and hugs her and asks how her day is. He's a beautiful, beautiful boy, and he's going into a really tough sport. So it's like if we don't, you know, you gotta you got to be kind to people, um, especially if you're... Raised rough. You gotta understand that. And like people like you, right? If you didn't allow us on the show, we wouldn't, we couldn't exist. You know, and you give us this kind of time. So I just want to thank you and let everybody know Colt's got nothing to live up to. If he quits tomorrow, man, he's already done it, you know? Um, and the rest of it is well, what is an Irish poem, uh, an Irish poem. For those who love us, may God bless them. For those who don't, may God turn their hearts. And if he can't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we can recognize them by their limp. <laughs>
I'm just martial arts. I'm just going to retire after today. That's I'm not I'm I'm not even going to try to come in and do another show after this because it's um all right Colt you're going to be fighting Friday night 7:30 uh, against Colin Porter. You're fighting for Team Quest Portland Oregon. We've had Matt uh, Lindland in the studio, but Matt the Law Lindland yeah, in the studio. Yeah, you're going to be in the Senate, man. And I get the same feeling, uh, and you know this is sitting across from Matt Lindland, you know, and sitting obviously both of you guys and Colt the, the, just sort of that weird recognition that I'm sitting across from a guy who could probably kill me with one punch if he if he decided to. So when you when you you know Colt when you go into the ring do you ever uh, do you ever do you does it ever become personal thing is the wrong way to put it but I mean is it just about winning the is it just you're playing an opponent you're fighting a a man you're fighting a specific style of fighting when you go into the ring who do you see across from you uh, I see the guy that's uh, standing between me in the next fight you know this guy got to beat get in, get in your head that you gotta do whatever you gotta do to win and you know if you lose that's that but do whatever I can to win, you know? You know, and for people who've never seen it, and uh, I had the pleasure of being one of the ring announcers at Sport Fight a couple couple events back, it is, you know, it's the real deal. I mean, it is it is, it is is stripped down, it is basic, it's honest, which is not to say that it's in any way, I mean, when I say stripped down, I mean, it is the raw, you know, fist-to-face, body-to-body, you know, on, the, on your feet or on the ground, you know, really just one guy in a ring with one other guy seeing who seeing who walks away and seeing who doesn't. Uh, you're backstage, you're getting ready to walk in, backstage ritual, mantra, something you do, something you say? Uh, well, you know, I've only had the one fight, and before that fight, I thought I was going to die. I thought like I was going to throw up, butterflies, everything. Why uh, am I doing this? But then afterwards, with the win, standing in the ring, the best feeling you can have, so. You get done, you're probably just you're just floating, probably. Just, static. You like nothing else. Yep. Hardly remembered the fight. All right. Uh, Cole Toombs fighting uh, Colin pa- uh, Porter, fighting for Team Quest, yep. uh, Portland, Oregon. It is this coming Friday. Uh, 7.30 at the uh, Rose Garden Sport Fight, 24, uh, Domination, ComcastTix.com, uh, or at all uh, Safeway Tickets West outlets, uh, RoseQuarter.com. So, uh, so Colt, uh, continued success. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you. know, I would, I don't know if you're supposed, not supposed to say good luck. I don't know if that's like a jinx or whatever, but, you know, knock him dead, kid. Oh, uh, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for coming in, uh, and the best of continued luck and success with that. And, Rod, Thanks, you know, and I mean, speaking on not just behalf of myself, but I think on a whole, you know, just a, a slew of guys, as my mom used to say. Uh, thank you so much for the entertainment and for really, you know, forgiving everything. And I take my fun seriously, my entertainment seriously. And uh, and it means a lot that you did what you did and you're still out there doing it. And you've obviously raised, you know, a great son. And so best of continued success to both of you guys. Thank you for yeah, coming thank in. Thank you. you very much. All right. RowdyRowdyPiper.com, by the way, or RoseQuarter.com for Sport Fight 24 Domination this Friday. Cold Tombs against Colin Porter. So uh, back after this on the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Seriously, I'm just going to go home. Jesus. That is the best thing that's ever happened. Uh, why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program, the home of greatness. It's uh, 503-733-2970. I do have to say, by the way, so we, uh, as we often do, we ducked up in the hallway under the light that makes us all look bad uh, to get a photo. And uh, I still suppose that Jonathan Colton photo was just all of our shoes. I, I put that up on our MySpace. Really? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, so we duck out in the studio, to, uh, out in the hallway, uh, to get a uh, to get a photo with Rowdy Rowdy Piper and his son Colt. Um, and uh, 
I mean, first of all, you got to give it up to that to the, the son just for you know because Rowdy Roddy Piper is such a huge deal. How old is is his son? I would say I would guess early twenties, maybe. Okay, yeah, I, I couldn't really tell he was kind of ageless. I uh, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't tell either. Uh, very... What a like a well spoken, nice person to both of them. Yeah, yeah. So nice. Uh, and I and you know the his dad you know the dad cats you know the sons have the whole thing about living up to their father anyway, you know especially you you know dad was a huge you know huge deal was a huge rusher obviously has an iconic presence to so many guys but um so we step out in the hallway here and uh, you know we were here and so you know Roddy just has the he's with their t-shirt and whatever we got in the hallway to do the photo and he does the greatest thing not unlike Reverend Run at the at Rockfest for the photo. Totally looks exactly the way you want it to look. Puts on a leather jacket and like the cool aviator shades, and it's just like, all right, let's go, let's do this photo. And you know, I'm just like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. All right, hello, Tim Riley. Hello. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be all gushing. No, you deserve to be. That was a fine interview. I enjoyed it immensely. And then I called Peter Carlin and apologized for having to uh, to having to cut his interview short. He wouldn't accept your apology. No, he did. He don't try to spread hate and divisiveness. He's the one who called you a jackass. He called me a closeted jackass. Oh. I mean, you know, whatever. But Peter Carlin's like, at least I'm not an in the closet jackass, Rick Emerson. I'm <laughs> sort of like, wow, where did that come from? How do you fit the jackass in the closet? Is that a walk-in closet? <laughs> it's more of a, it's more of an armoire. I see. All right, let's do this. And now, now. from the Ministry of Truth, sure. this is Tim Riley. Well, this is a day for cancellations first. Neil Diamond canceled his concert for Portland, which was supposed to be on the 22nd, offering some lame excuse and no uh, secondary date. And now, Sarah Palin will not appear in Seattle as scheduled. She has canceled her trip. She was planning to be in Seattle for a fundraiser on the 24th, but a spokesman says uh, she's encountered a, se- a scheduling conflict. Instead, she's going to be elsewhere like Michigan, like hiding. Oh, further away. So all you ladies who have so much in common with her. She's a woman, and I'm a woman, and um, I had five children. She has five. Oh, we'll have to see her elsewhere. Jesus God, Jesus God Almighty. It really is too bad, isn't it? I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that her voice here? I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. Like, there's no relation to that voice she was using at the uh, at the Republican convention. You know what I mean? Oh, that's true. Yeah, the public convention, she was all strident and whatnot, and here she's all adenoidal. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. Really? It's, it's like she came right out of a Coen Brothers movie or something. Here's Tim Riley. Only 7% of Americans approve of the government using taxpayer money to bail out financial institutions. Their survey found an overwhelming majority, two-thirds, say the company should be allowed to fail and file for bankruptcy. But it's not going to happen anyway. No, it's not going to happen anyway, Tim. You know why? Because uh, because Mr. Potter is going to step in and take over the whole town. That's why. No, this one's marked urgent. Urgent. People Magazine has revealed its 10 best dressed stars for 2008. Is this really that urgent? That's what it says, sir. <laughs> urgent, urgent. All right, they did it twice. Let me sit down so that I don't keel over from excitement. Wait. Ugh. All right, go ahead. Among these celebrities named to the list are Gwyneth Paltrow and Charlize Theron. You know, first of all, I'm tired of Gwyneth Paltrow being on anything greatest anything list. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, aren't we all over Gwyneth Paltrow? You know, she has a kid yeah, and she's married or whatever. And as I've she's said like before, making babies in London or something, isn't she? You know, and no guy ever found her attractive to begin with. So, and and now I guess women liked her and found her attractive, but now she's not even that because she's hiding in a castle in Scotland or something, wherever she's living. Well, they have a lot in common. She's a woman, and I'm a woman, and um. <laughs> I had five children. She has five. You know, there's no use that this soundbite can't be made to fit. <laughs> no. I really like that about you, Tim. You found a way. You found a soundbite that actually can be used for every single purpose on Earth. Absolutely. Uh, so here are some of the other chicks mentioned. Fergie. 
Rihanna. As did Project Gwenway host and former supermodel Heidi Klum. You know, Fergie's especially attractive when she uses the accessory of her own urine on the front of her pants. Also, uh, Anne Hathaway, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Ava Mendez. See, but now we're just entering the list of people who are always on the list because uh, they're always on lists. Never been on the list before. There is one name. Okay, but before we move on, let me just say Michelle Obama. Oh, really? Yes. Is she dressed well? I guess she dresses. Well. I don't really know. Yeah, she dresses. Okay. Hey, did you see her on Ellen? No, no, I didn't. Uh, so but I did watch Ellen randomly yesterday for the first time ever. Yeah. I never watched Ellen. Hey, what is Ellen's other gig? Apparently some, she's getting some other gig outside that. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I don't know. It I was know one she's of those... doing some cover girl stuff. Maybe, that's it. Yeah, maybe that might be it. It was, like, it was one of those teaser headlines on Yahoo News. What's Ellen's new gig? Click here to find out. And I was like, I, I don't care that much. Uh, oh, I saw their wedding photos, though. I have to say, Ellen's a handsome woman. I find her attractive in a strange sort of way. But, boy, Portia de Rossi was just smoking. Mm-hmm. And she's not really my type. Uh, Portia de Rossi is not, not typically the type of woman I'm into, but uh, I'm a big fan of how she looked there. Uh, but this is after this is the day after that whole lipstick pig thing, and I was having that conversation with Lisa Desjardins about do things in politics happen by accident. By the way, I'm looking at the phone. That's Jim Roop. Jim, if you're uh, if you're there, hang on, we'll, we'll get you in just a few here. Um, but that was I was having that discussion with Lisa Desjardins that nothing happens in you know by accident in politics. Every gesture, every move, every syllable is is intentional. So the day after that lipstick on a pig uh, controversy where everybody's, you know, the, everybody's talking about it and whatever, Michelle Obama, and if you've watched the, uh, the Ellen show, you know, the deal is the guest comes out and then they dance. This is why I'd never be a guest on the Ellen show, because, you know, she keeps asking. It's because you have to come out and dance, right? That's the deal. You have to come oh, out is and that you, true? Yeah. When you, when you, when you, when you, and people don't think Ellen's funny or whatever. You, you, you don't understand. That's, just, that's between you and your God. I think Ellen's, Ellen is really funny, and she does. You know, and that show's not really meant for me. But I watch it every you know, she does a great job, though. That, that Ellen show is really solidly put together. She's legitimately funny. And, um, but the gimmick on the Ellen show is when you come out, you have to dance with her for, like, two minutes or something. And Michelle Obama comes out. Michelle Obama's doing, you know, the dance or whatever. And then, I swear to God, five seconds after Michelle Obama walks out onto the Ellen uh, stage, she and Ellen are dancing, and Michelle Obama segues right into the dirt off your shoulder thing. She starts doing the Jay-Z dirt off your shoulder, and the audience just roars. So uh, there are no accidents in, poly- in politics, there is no happenstance. Oh, there's a big fire burning near Oak Ridge, Oregon. Some 200 structures are threatened right now, but it's too far away for any of us to care. They should live in more civilized places anyway. Okay, then. I think Jim Roop is on the phone. Are you uh, leaving to prepare more news, which you will deliver this afternoon as only you can? I must run back to the newsroom as quickly as possible. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world, back at 4, 5, 6, and 7, top of the hour, all the way through. Like us. Can I also alert the people that Gawker has posted Gawker. Um, most of Sarah Palin's uh, personal emails? Really? Do any of them deal with her kid being a junkie? No, it has all of her contacts and everything, and their emails about um, how she, she's wondering how to best hide her correspondence with the governor and trying to do a bunch of stuff, and it appears to be legitimate. So they have a bunch of screen caps on there before the government came in. This is like that my space page where the kid was like, I don't want kids. (laughs) I don't want your baby. All right. Okay. And welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From, uh, wait, hold on. From, 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 from Las Vegas, Nevada still. Uh, Jim Roop. Hello, sir. I'm still here, yeah. All right. (laughs) You're never leaving. (laughs) You're never leaving. Oh man, uh, here's a really uh, uh, how do I put this? I'm going to ask. I thought I'd look forward to the Emmys. I'll tell you that. I, I was because I'm going to ask you a question, and and I I only ask this because I am curious. And again, don't get me wrong, we love CNN. They're the world's premier news gathering and disseminating organization. And of course, we respect you as a journalist and as a man. 
and a colleague and an entertainer and all that. So I really only mean this just really just the most literal way, which is that why are you there? Does CNN believe that because you and I frequently talk about how like you and I and probably OJ himself are the only people who really care about this trial to any degree? So is it? I mean, is there a sense though that this really is a really is a, a big deal to somebody who's not named Rick Emerson? You know, I, I think it's it's a big deal only who it is, and and the, really the big deal is going to be the verdict. Right now, I'm here for the first couple of days of testimony. This is day number three. Mm-hmm. We were expecting Tom Riccio, who's the guy who uh, helped Simpson set up this so-called sting operation. Who made that audio recording, and so I'm kind of sitting through testimony up to that point. It has been fairly interesting, uh, I, I think, and, and we really base coverage a lot on the temperature of our affiliates. I mean, how many affiliates are interested in this? And and apparently there's a lot of affiliates interested in it because I do a lot of live shots. Wait a minute, so I'm part of the problem. No, you're not. That's not a problem at all. Okay. I'm just saying. If it were not, if, let me tell you this. If it were not for affiliates, we would not be a network. Uh, so the Rick Emerson Show is part of the reason you are incarcerated in the living hell uh, that is Las Vegas, Nevada right now. You know, it really it really wasn't that bad today. Um, I was kind of interested in that audio tape anyway because there right. are two audio tapes in evidence, one analog and one digital. And so an FBI analyst was forensically looking at these things uh-huh. and decided that he cannot he cannot authenticate the digital recording, but he can authenticate the uh, the analog recording, which I found interesting in and of itself. And is this the recording where O.J. is screaming about, yeah, don't nobody of... leave the MFing room? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the only way it's going to be authenticated is, and this is, this, this is what's the funniest thing to me, and this is the prosecution's case, the only way it's going to be authenticated is by the people on the tape. Yes, that's me. Yes, that's him. Yes, that's me. Yes, that's him. And so, I mean, and these people are, are, are as dirty, like I said the other day, as the bottom right. of your shoe. Sure. So it's it's just I found that very interesting about the audio thing. I thought it was going to be a snoozer, but it turned out to be pretty good. Well, all right then. Uh, and then I guess you are, and then you're heading back to the Emmys. Are what Sunday, Tuesday? Sunday. Sunday. They just snuck up on me. So uh, I will be, you know, I'll be watching the Emmys though, because I guess for either all or part of it, the hosts are going to be Kathy Griffin and uh, and and Don Rickles. And, you know, and, and I don't really that's care. That's going to be a strange combination. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, you know, and I hope it doesn't turn into a big debacle. Do you remember, I think it was on the MTV Music Awards a few years back, uh, when it was Milton Berle and RuPaul? Yes. And uh, RuPaul said some very unkind things to Milton Berle, who I think at that point was in the twilight of his years, to put it lightly, and did not know he was being made fun of. And it was uh, very uncomfortable to watch. So uh, I, I think I think an issue you have right now with Kathy Griffin is that there are a lot of parents that are not going to let their kids watch Emmy Awards out of fear of what she's going to say. Is that true? Her subject matter. Yeah, that's true. See, and I really don't know a whole lot about her because every time I've tried to watch her alleged comedy, it just rubs me the wrong way. It's just I don't find her funny. Well, she to be funny, and, and she's one of the – you know, I, I don't know her. I, I don't know her. This is just my opinion. But it seems to me that her punchlines are always expletive-laced right. punchlines. right. Just uh, it's more shocked than it is funny. Well, that's she's got like that Sarah Silverman thing where it's the, the whole gag is that she's sort of a cute-looking woman who's saying something really, you know, really inappropriate. You know, right. As opposed yeah. to being legitimately funny, like Lisa Lampanelli is, um, you know, it, it often has uh, material that uh, you know is uh, the blood say skirts the edge or crosses the edge of decency. But Lisa Lampanelli is really legitimately a very funny person. Well, maybe this is why Kathy Griffin does a lot of shows in prisons. <laughs> 
Well, in prison, and, you and think... she does a lot of those. Really? She is that true? Prison stuff. That's what I know. Let me tell you this, friend. As, as a guy who's gotten uh, more than his share of fan mail from dudes that are in prison, they'll <laughs> take whatever they can get. You know what I mean? And that's any port in a storm right there. So Understood. All right, brother. Are you uh, are you there tomorrow, or are you going to be heading back? Oh, I'm, I'm bugging out tomorrow after morning lives and then... Uh, and then picking up credentials and doing any stuff uh, right. from now until Sunday. All right. Well, uh, travel safe, and uh, we will undoubtedly talk to you maybe uh, on Fridays. We're sort of gearing up for the Emmy, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. Go with God. All right. Thank you. There you go. Jim Roop, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Back after this, we'll wrap it up around the corner. Uh, you want to get on board? It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Like us, 3 Michael Marish Show at 7. We continue and wrap it up after this. Don't go anywhere. All right, we now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, don't forget that uh, Sport Fight 24 is happening this Friday, 7.30 at the uh, Rose Garden. And uh, Roddy Roddy Piper's son, Colt, is going to be fighting in that. You can get uh, tickets at all participating Safeway Tickets West Outlets or at ComcastTicks.com or RoseQuarter.com. And, of course, uh, you can find out more about that Roddy Roddy Piper at Rowdy Roddy Piper. Dot com. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, I got the. I don't know if we have time to do calls here. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Maybe. Maybe we can do the. Maybe we do the fabled last call of the day here in a moment. Let yeah. me just get some of these emails. Rick, airbag. This is about me wanting to put coupons in airbags. Airbags are inflated by superheated gas, so they inflate fast enough. Don't you think it's rather dangerous to fill them with bits of paper? <laughs> that and if the gas doesn't ignite them, what happens when the car does catch fire? Yes, let's shower the driver in flammable material in a rolling can of gasoline. Maybe this is not your brightest idea. All right. Rick, I believe airbags deployed a velocity of 250 miles an hour fired by a gas cartridge. This would most likely turn anything packed in the bag into a high-speed projectile being fired directly at your face. I'm no physicist, Rick, but I'd imagine a piece of paper going 250 miles an hour would give you one hell of a paper cut to your face, neck, area, or simply embed itself in your skull. Maybe they could pack it with something else, like confetti to cheer you up after the crash, or maybe a blood pack to make you appear horribly injured to the other party. Just my two cents. And then, uh, let's see if, I'll, uh, if I have time to do, uh, do I have time to do Todd's email, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Todd the Corp sends this email. Rick, I'm thinking the past six years or so that I've listened to your show and I finally put a, finally put a finger on why I'm such a huge fan of your program. Not because of the insightful and hilarious commentary that isn't available anywhere else. Not that I feel like we have a similar and unusual sense of humor as you and your show. It's not because I've managed to insert myself into the Rick Emerson world via writing Christmas plays and roast speeches. No, Rick, my connection to your show is even deeper. The reason why I identify so closely with your show is because I, like Rick Emerson, produce testosterone. And I have two arms like Sarah. And don't get me started on Tim and how we both have hair. You're human beings. I'm a human being. You're carbon-based. I'm carbon-based. I don't see a problem in making huge, world-altering decisions based on such amazing similarities. Todd. All right, no time to be fair to another caller. My apologies. You're on hold. Give us a ring tomorrow, my friends. We want to thank Rowdy Roddy Piper, his son Colt Toombs, wrestling this Friday. Uh, CNN Radio correspondents Jim Roop and Lisa Desjardins, Peter Carlin, Mr. Skin, and more. Join us tomorrow on the Rick Emerson Show, which is produced by Sarah X. Dillon for AM 970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Rowley, the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, webmistress, Richard from upstairs, director of engineering, Brian Jones, CBS Radio, Portland Marketing Guru, Susan Reynolds. See you tomorrow now. Bye. 
I have come here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. And I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs>